Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I am Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Uh, another week in isolation for the big pod. Uh, guys, how are you guys handling another week uh, at home following uh, th- th- this, this program from afar? Yeah, good. It is what it is, baby. Soldier on. Stay safe, stay smart. I need out of the house, but yeah, for the sake of safety, yeah, stay in the house. Are you guys getting out of the house? Because it's been amazing. Yeah, I sit on my balcony during the workday just for the sake of not looking at the same walls all day. My fiance is a reporter and she's outside right now doing interviews and stuff, sitting on our little um, outside, our outdoors, uh, whatever you call it, patio set. Um, doing her work today. So that's her office hanging out with the dog. And um, I'm glad that we finally got a break in the weather because otherwise things have been pretty, pretty gloomy. It's uh, I, yeah, I'm running like five days a week. I ran a 10 K the other day and it like, it almost, it's upped my running because it's like a treat. It's a treat to get outside and I pick a podcast that I need to catch up on and I go and I'm waving to everybody. I don't know if people uh, who listen to Buckeye talk know this, but I typically am a grumpy, cranky, curmudgeonly jerk. But now, in this era, when I'm out running, man, I'm waving to everybody. I'm Mr. Neighborhood. So, yes, getting out is good. This is the best shape I've been in. This isn't saying much, but it's the best shape I've been in in a while. Between getting more exercise because there's nothing else to do in the afternoons and not eating so much fast food and stuff, um, I think I've lost a good handful of pounds here just in the last couple weeks. So, um, not, I don't want this to go on forever, but as long as it goes on, it feels like I'm I'm doing okay with it. And and let us all acknowledge the fact that that this is how we are experiencing this makes us very lucky and privileged. And I was just yes. the, the UPS guy dropped something off at our house today, and he's wearing a mask and he's out doing yeah. his job. And he's a UPS guy and he's out in the world. He doesn't he's not thinking about you know when he's going to get to go run. He's doing his job and taking care of his family. So. We know there are people listening to this who are who are in tougher situations, and we are grateful um, for all those people out there. And and I actually have a side tangent about this that I, there is a point I want to make. If I should make it now, or should I? Should I? Should uh, yeah, should yeah I just wait? do it. Yeah, go go for it. So here's the thing. I my theory of this is that I think on the big Wednesday pod we will get into this stuff. I think it's okay for us to talk about how we're doing in this era, what is out there, what might happen down the road. But I think in the daily pods I would like us to ignore it. 
because I listened to Bill Simmons' podcast the other night, and he was whining about this stuff in such a whiny, uninformed way. And he was talking about how, like, ah, I watched WrestleMania, and there weren't any fans there, and I don't want to watch any sports without fans in the stands. And Ryan Rosillo was like, shut up, you idiot. And it was such a grating, uninformed, whiny, privileged piece of nothing. And I love hearing those guys talk about sports. So I am, my window of how much I want to hear whiny sports writers talk about how they're dealing with the coronavirus and, oh, are they going to put it on TV or cancel the game? They canceled the Masters. What am I going to do? Shut up. That is not entertaining. So I get it that we have to address this, but what I hope we can do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday with these mini pods is just ignore it because nobody knows anything. A million people out there are suffering more than sports writers are, and nobody has any information about what's going to happen next. So if people want us to talk about it a little bit, that's fine. I wanted to reach through my podcast and punch Bill Simmons in the neck in his mansion in Los Angeles. And it made me realize I don't want people listening to this to want to reach through and punch us in the neck. So I think there, as a podcaster, there is a way for us to do this, address it, but a lot of the time ignore it because the whole point is we're giving you a distraction. Yeah, and I want to say that, you know, from reading through all of your your texts that you're sending us, uh, for those of you who aren't subscribers, 614-350-3315, join two-week free trial. Uh, 14-day free trial, I should say, 3.99 a month. After that, um, those of you who are who are texting us, we really appreciate that you guys are connecting with what I think we're trying to do, especially with these five-day-a-week pods, which is what Doug is talking about. You know, there are days where we're gonna have to talk about. It. There are some day we're gonna have to do some reporting on this in the near future. Some of you are asking us questions. Do you think there's gonna be football this fall? What's gonna happen if there's no football this fall? I've been shying away from those questions a little bit, either answering them in the Buckeye Talk text Q&A or on the pod because I, I want to do what Doug is talking about other people not doing, which is give an informed, um, reasoned answer to those questions, informed being the most important part. We are going to have to delve into those topics soon. But I think what people seem to be really resonating with is, is we get a lot of thanks from you guys and gals for giving you something besides what's going on to think about, talk about, laugh about, argue about. And that's what I think we're going to dive headfirst into. So, so those of you who are asking those questions, I, we're not ignoring them. We're just sort of setting them aside. We will get back to those before too long. Um, but the main topic this week and what we got a really great response on this week was an idea that, that Doug brought up, which is who is the Buckeye football player that you're driving the bus for in 2020? Uh, Doug, do you want to explain a little bit more? I'm sure this is something you guys have talked about in the past, but just maybe what that means to you, driving the bus. So actually, I want to make sure we give the credit here. And there are lots of times when we get great texts and I'll respond to somebody and say, that's a great idea. We'll make sure to give you credit when we talk about it. So this was a text that we got in from the 614 and then the next number is a five. I don't want to give someone's phone number away, but so you know who you are. And they just texted this. All aboard the Jameson Williams train, get on now or miss out until the fall when you can try to jump on again. That They sent that to us on March 2nd when we were just like talking about football stuff. But that phraseology, all aboard the Jameson Williams train, 
is what spurred the idea of like, who are you getting on the train for slash driving the bus for? And Nathan, that may be the first order of business here officially. Are we riding a train or driving a bus? Aren't you driving a train? Well, are we, are we driving? Are we, are we like, uh, are we like Ralph Cramden or are we like a chugga chugga choo choo at the front of the, of the, the train engine? Uh, what, what vehicle are we going to use in the headline of this podcast to describe us being in a vehicle filled with the player that we like? I think it's, I think driving the bus. Okay. So yes, the idea driving the bus. Okay, so we're on the bus. So that was where the idea came from. And people who have listened to this in the past, to me what this means is what I do when I go crazy for Superman. And when I get on the podcast for that time when I was doing it three or four years ago and talking about Eric Glover Williams all the time. Or what I do with DeMario. When I'm so excited about DeMario McCall. It can be a great player, but it's somebody to me that you are super excited about more than the average person is that even maybe if it's a really good player, but you think this guy's going to be an all American and it's a person that you are excited about without reservation. It's not like, well, if he does this, then I think he'll be good or well, it's like maybe the only thing holding this guy back in your mind is opportunity, but you believe in all your heart. If you put this guy on the field and let him go, he's going to be better than most people think. That, to me, is what it means to drive a train. And I think it's, it's important to say driving and not riding. You're driving the train. You're, you are picking people up and taking them to the eventual destination of where you have been all along, which is, this is my guy. Yes. Now, you could be like if you were the conductor on the train, right? I don't know. Like if you're punching tickets on the train, maybe that would count too. But I guess driving it, yes, it is an active thing. It is not a passive thing. It is not like, yeah, what the heck? I like that guy too. It is like I am telling other people why they should believe in this Buckeye. Right. So we got 92 responses. I think it's 92. It's, it's around 100 responses. 46 different Ohio State players mentioned as from our tech subscribers as the guy that they are driving the bus for in 2020. That number surprised me a little bit. Because now you're getting, I mean, that's over half of the scholarship players on roster. That's almost too many. I mean, if there's 46, yeah. that means there's going to be some in there that we're going to be like, oh, no, I don't agree with that. But we admire your passion. We admire your passion. So, so that, yeah. anyway, I mean, that or there'll be people where I don't necessarily think you have to drive a train for them. We already kind of know what, what the deal is. No, but, right. but, but but I would argue with that because, like, if you say, and maybe some people did, if you said, I'm guaranteeing you Justin Fields is going to have a Joe Burrow year. Just Justin Fields is going to be the Heisman winning quarterback for the undefeated national champions. You're driving the Justin Fields train. If you're going that far, we all think he's good. But I think you can still drive a train for a great player because to me it's that you're going kind of a step further than most people are. Right. So there were 23 players mentioned by at least two texters, and then 23 that were only mentioned by one. So you get a wide array. The, 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 the number one response got seven votes. We're going to get into who our texters picked in a little bit. But first we wanted to give everyone – our 
who we're driving the bus for. And ours is obviously from a little bit of a different perspective. It's a little bit more detached. It's not quite as emotionally invested as maybe a, a fans is at the same time, we have an inside perspective. We get to know these guys a little bit more. We interact with them. We talk to them. Um, Steven, why don't you start off? Who is the guy that you're driving the bus for on Ohio state football in 2020? Gee, I wonder, gee, I wonder <laughs> if anybody has listened to our drafts, I wonder who it might be. It's not what you're thinking. It's not going to be Gary. It's not going to be Gary. I'm not going to go with Gary. You, you stole him from me in the draft, though. I'm going to go with Julian Fleming. And I've been contemplating this ever since Doug initially brought the idea up to us and trying to convince myself why I shouldn't pick him. And I'm, I the, the comparison I use is Justin Ross. Justin Ross is a four-star kid out of Alabama who chose Clemson. And because of some opportunity, Clemson's had some great wide receivers in the past, but because of there was an opening for him to be a starter right away, and he turned that into 46 catches, 1,000 yards, and nine TDs, which I'm not saying that's what Julian Fleming is going to do next year. What I am saying is in comparison to the two guys who had roles as freshmen before him at Ohio State, Chris Olave, a three-star guy, number 68 wide receiver, number 399 player. He didn't really get a role until the Michigan State game because Austin Mack was hurt. And so they threw him the ball randomly. And we were all like, hey, Chris Olave is on the field. And then all of a sudden the Michigan game showed up and he scores the first two touchdowns of the game. 12 catches, 197 yards, and three TDs on the season. And then Garrett Wilson last year was the best, the most of an opportunity of why freshman wide receiver has had here in a while, 30 catches, 40. 432 yards and five TDs. I think Julian Fleming is going to be somewhere north of what Garrett Wilson did and south of what Justin Ross did because of the fact that he might end up being the other starting outside wide receiver, especially since Garrett Wilson is moving on the inside as a slot receiver and Chris Olave is already one receiver. If he's a starter, reaching those Justin Ross stats, the possibility of it climbs up the ladder a little bit, mostly because I think they're going to throw the ball around a lot more than they did last season. And so because of that, he might be able to build himself up to where if Ohio State's in the playoff, Justin Ross had 200-yard receiving games his freshman year against Notre Dame and Alabama, Julian Fleming could be doing the same thing because he's had the op- – it's it's a five-star kid, the number one wide receiver in the country, getting an opportunity to that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson just didn't get as true freshmen. So, so he is a five-star, and he's the number one rated receiver recruit in the country. So mm-hmm. the, the bus is at least pretty well no, warmed no. up at this point. The, the train, the train, the train. Yeah, the train. The train. You said driving the bus. No, I thought we said we're driving the train. We just said – you said drive the train. I said it's like having a conductor, and uh, I thought we decided on train. No? You said bus. Oh, crap. Okay, hold on. Let we me are really the drive a train. Who are le- we are leading the people down a deranged path. <laughs> sometimes you take the bus to get on the train. Um, sometimes their noses are horns. Anyone ever see the movie Quick Change? It's a great movie. All right, I'm writing down bus to remind myself. because you. Actually- I also think I got a little bit confused because you said driving the bus and riding the train, and I I think it's I don't care what vehicle it is, but we're driving. No, 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 but I think we need to agree on a vehicle. Otherwise, we're just this, – this podcast will be madness. Driving so we, the bus. We're Okay, you're the host. It's the bus. I apologize. Driving the bus, yes. So Driving the bus. So, so anyway, I'm saying yeah. Julian, Fleming's, Julian Fleming's bus is already, I think, pretty well stocked. Doug, do you have the same kind of top-end optimism of what Julian Fleming could be as a freshman? Well, I want to demand that Stephen – 
I, I want Stevens Barr because again, like the fact, so the idea of whether Julian Fleming is going to be a starter or not is irrelevant. He's going to be in a rotation at one of the receiver spots. There's no doubt about that. So he's going to be one of the six guys. Garrett Wilson was a co-starter last year for the whole season. I made a bet with our guy Drizzy Gets Busy before last season that Garrett Wilson would have more than 600 receiving yards. We bet Chili's dinner on it. And he only had 432. So I lost that bet. But it turns out that Drizzy lives, like, lives kind of far away. And so um, when we all can go back to normal, I might have to drive several states away to take Drizzy to Chili's, but I'm more than happy to do it. But I was in on Garrett Wilson to the tune of 600 yards last year, and I wouldn't have said that I was driving the bus for Garrett Wilson. So if Justin Ross had 1,000 receiving yards as a true freshman, I want you to set – what is your bus driving bar on stats for Julian Fleming? So in 2018, when they did throw the ball around, the top three receivers were 1,800 and 700. I think Julian Fleming is going to be number three and can get 700 receiving yards next season. Okay. I don't know if that's bus worthy. Nathan, is that bussy enough? 700 for Julian Fleming? I mean, that's three, that's 250 more than Garrett Wilson got. If you told me Julian Fleming is going to have 700 receiving yards, I'd say, yeah, that's a good year. I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh my God, that's awesome. To be fair. If you're thinking about a 14 or 15 game season, 700 doesn't also impress me as much as if you're talking about 12. Okay, to be fair, only one person last season had more than 700 receiving yards, and that was Chris Olave. Yeah, right. none of those receivers were as good as Julian Fleming. Here's the other thing. I, I, I it, it also, the rotation makes it tough. I think to, to, to drive the bus, I think, is more what Steven was alluding to as like the 99th percentile, which is, if if Julian Fleming has just some sort of eruptive season where he gets up around a thousand yards and it just emerges as this just separational talent in college football, there I think is where you've driven the bus. You're saying this guy is not just going to be a really productive receiver as a freshman. This guy is going to be all eyes on him by the end of his freshman year. That to me is where you say driving the bus. So here's what we're talking about, by the way, with Justin Ross, to, to Stephen's point. Justin Ross is a freshman, had 1,000 yards. That led Clemson. T. Higgins, who's going to be like a second-round pick this year, was an mm-hmm. older guy that year. He had 936. Hunter Renfro, who's like was a magic guy and went to the NFL, he had 544. So like Justin Ross and Amari Rogers had 575. They had a four-man basic, four receivers they threw to. But Justin Ross was still number one. So to me, if you're really driving a bus with Julian Fleming, I don't know that saying he's going to be third on the team in receiving yards is enough driving, man. I, I want speed-level bus driving on this. I want, I want Sandra Bullock pedal to the metal. You can't go under 55. And, and that if, if you're – I mean, if we just said the other day on the draft thing, Julian Fleming will probably be third on this team in receiving yards. I might demand that you go higher, that you say he's going to be first or second. All right, I'll go. For, he'll be first. I, I, how about this? I'll say it. He'll have a thousand yards and ten touchdowns, bare minimum. Ooh. Okay, now that's 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 some driving, baby. That's bare minimum. I don't. You didn't just drive the bus. You like invented some kind of new nuclear-powered jet engine bus. You know, I tried to be fair. No, a thousand yards, ten touchdowns. Justin Ross had a thousand and nine, thousand ten, for just for Julian Fleming. Interesting. And by the way, that bus reference earlier was to a movie from 30 years ago um, (laughs) with 
with it was about a bus that you had to drive fast. It's called somebody. Speed. Somebody in the somebody in Northeast Ohio did this great animation about um, Governor DeWine and Amy Acton, and it's set to the tune. It's a it's um, a parody of the Laverne and Shirley intro. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet. That's going around on Twitter. I thought it was hilarious, but it also struck me as like like my fiance is sitting there and she's younger than me. And I'm like, I don't think she has, I don't know. She's probably never seen the Laverne and Shirley intro. So I don't know if it, if everybody out there that I was tweeting it to thought it was as funny as I did, but it's pretty funny, but it's, it's crazy how things that were like, so like seminal to us are like so dated and completely off people's radars. Now that, uh, can I tell you that the, uh, the Laverne and Shirley parody of Dr. Acton and governor DeWine, like actually brought a tear to my eye for real. Like it brought out the greatest sense of Ohio pride that I've ever felt. <laughs> and that like, as I say, like, as I rant about, and I have another rant coming up to drop on people. Cause I'm just in a, uh, there's a certain way that I would like everybody to address uh, sports and the world right now. And if you don't adhere to my way of doing things, you make me angry. But uh, as someone who has lived in Ohio since 2005, but did not grow up in Ohio, um, like I cover the most sort of uniting. We cover the most unite. I would argue that Ohio State football unites Ohioans more than anything else. I, I don't even know if that's in dispute. That the number one thing that the average Ohioan has in common with people around the state, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Akron, Toledo, Zanesville, everywhere, is Ohio State football. And we cover that on a professional basis, not on a personal, like it's, it's not personal for us. Um, so this never have I felt more like an Ohioan and never have I welled up more with Ohio pride than I than during this, because I, I feel like from the start, Ohio has been a leader in this. I feel like Ohioans have the right mindset about it. I think our leaders are doing a great job leading us. And I know it's hard on a lot of people, but I just I just feel like Ohio is getting it right. And um, so like. A, Ver, a Laverne and Shirley cartoon that like went over the heads of 80% of the people out there. Cause if you don't have gray hair, you don't know who Laverne and Shirley are. I was like, yes, 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 Amy and Mike. So thanks for sharing that, Nathan. Yeah. And by the way, kind of speaking to the point you're making, Brutus Buckeye does make a cameo in that video. So that, I think that's that to me, when I saw him pop up, that was like, they're saying the same thing that I think Ohio state kind of brings this this state together in a certain way. He has not, to my knowledge, Brutus Buckeye has had no involvement in researching a cure for coronavirus or any of the the planning that's been going on behind the scenes, but he's still in the video because he's, he's an important um, just kind of uh, flag for this state in some ways. Yeah. And you, cause you can't put a Cleveland Brown or a Cincinnati no. red in there. Cause you'd no, you're not gonna put Joey Votto in there. No. First of all, he's not, he's also not as instantly recognizable as a mascot. So Joey Votto, if there was a cartoon Joey Votto, you would know who he is, but nobody else would. Probably. <laughs> Probably. All right. Uh, I'm going to go next because I, I don't think you're going to steal my guy, but just in case you were going to, and since I'm hosting, I'm going to go next. And I, I think it's interesting. Like the guy you drive the bus for to me, there's, there's people, our text responders who, who picked somebody who's like, a star already or just about there and they think they're going to go to another level. And then there's people picking guys who really obscure. And then there's kind of in the middle, it's the ones who just haven't gotten a fair shake or something hasn't worked out or whatever. I'm picking Nicholas Petit Frere. And it's because the more I think about it, I feel like his first, 
his, the start of his career has been framed a little bit as him being behind. And I don't know how fair that is. I've probably even contributed to it in the way that I've written about things a couple times. He came in as a five-star recruit, much like Paris Johnson. But those guys usually, even as five-star recruits on the offensive line, don't start as freshmen. So the fact that he redshirted as a freshman, no big deal. And then last year, he loses a battle in the fall that they said was neck and neck to Brandon Bowen, a guy who had been a starter on the offensive line before he got hurt and came back as a, a fifth-year senior and won the job. And I, I feel like that gets turned into him having failed to some level at this point of his career. And we forget a little bit that he's still just a redshirt sophomore. And I think he's poised to maybe prove some doubters wrong, including people like myself who again, have maybe written it a little bit more harshly. Now it does say something that last year when they needed a third tackle, he was not the guy they picked. Will that be, is that a, a, a sign that there is a deficiency there or is that the kick in the butt he needed to reach his full potential this season? We'll see. But that's a guy I'm picking a guy who I think has maybe gotten a little bit. He hasn't necessarily had the full opportunity yet to be criticized the way he has. Do you guys think that's a fair way to look at Nicholas Petit Frere? Yes, and I think from now on, whenever we talk about the right tackle battle, you now are going to have to say, I think Petit Frere is going to win it, right? You yeah. have, you that's, can't doubt your guy. Yeah, He's that's your fair. guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, based on what I've seen so far, I probably would pick him to win it, but I've only seen a little bit of one practice while I was mostly watching the defense. Can, so, I, can I bring up a point? Very sure. quickly. Of course. Um, when you drafted a right tackle for your offense in the draft, do you remember who you who you had? I did. I took Paris Johnson. But the, oh, but man. but oh, that man. was mostly that was mostly a psychological ploy to get under Stevens' skin a little bit. And, and so Steven, you went against your own own you went against your own pig just to mess with me. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I, again, I think if you go back and listen to the pod, I said just for fun. I'm picking Paris Johnson here. And to be fair, Steven did not draft Julian Fleming as the receivers right. sat on the board for like four rounds. Right. And Steven picked Garrett Wilson first, but is somehow not driving the bus for the guy that he made the overall number one pick for the offense. Okay. Okay. I over, I, I tried to pick someone who hasn't necessarily done anything yet. I think it would have been easy to sit here and go, I think Garrett Wilson is going to break the wide receiver a receiving record next year. I think that like you think it's that's brand. easy. I think if that's you think Garrett Wilson is going to have the best receiving season in the history of Ohio State football, <laughs> that is classic bus driving. Yeah, but everybody knows I'm driving that bus already. I wanted to you know challenge okay. myself a little bit and actually think about this. I picked the man first in a draft where you probably shouldn't have picked a wide receiver first. No, let me tell you, Stephen, if we're going by what you did in your draft, I don't think we, you want any of us reading too much into your draft, <laughs> given how that turned out for you. We're going to get more into the draft on Thursday, and I'm looking like forward said, to that. I but, like my team. But, okay. So, uh, <laughs> but neither of you have the guy on your team that you were driving the bus for. That's true. Yes, it's two different, it's two different questions. I, was looking, I looked at the draft one way, and I'm looking at this question another way. Cause you also, but you could drive the bus for Paris Johnson too, and say he's going to become a dominant right tackle as a true freshman, which is a very difficult thing to do as a tackle at Ohio State. It's a, that's a difficult thing to do as a tackle anywhere to be to be dominant and start as a as a true freshman. 
I think that's in his potential. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going out on the limb and saying, I'm, I'm thinking Nicholas Petit Frere is going to emerge. I think it's a good pick. I mean, he was the, uh, among the guys I was considering, but then again, when I thought about it, it's like, am I sure he's going to win the starting job? I'm not, I wouldn't say like, Oh yes, I am. I am absolutely sure. I believe right. in him. He's going to yeah, beat no. out Paris. And to me, if you're, if you're not willing to go that far, then you can't drive a bus for the guy. So it's like, if you're staking your claim, it's like give – now, the other way that I think you can drive a bus and stake a claim, which is a great thing for a sports writer to do, is have the person not win a job, and then you can criticize the coaches for playing right. the wrong guy. Right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, we'll, we, we, again, we, we saw one practice, the first practice of the spring. I may have had a very different opinion about this by the end of the spring. Maybe by the end of the spring, after we got to see three or four practices, I would have thought Paris Johnson is clearly the guy who needs to start. So I'm, I'm ba- this is all very speculative, obviously. But And I don't know what we're, we'll be allowed to see between now and the start of the season. It may be nothing, um, if there is a season, not to go back into that topic. But it could be also that by the end of the fall, from what we see or the people that we talk to who are seeing things, that – it's obvious that Paris Johnson needs to start. I don't know. But as of this day, April 7th, knowing what we know, that's the guy I'm going with. Do you – I also think in the, the implication in driving the bus for a guy is that there is some component of irrationality in it. Of like, a little bit. I yeah. just love this guy. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. I don't, I don't care what the facts are. I'm telling you, I love this dude. I love that there is a great big tackle with Petit in his name. That alone almost makes me want to drive the bus. Yeah, his name is Nick Little Brother. Yeah. But he's going to he's going to kill people. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. No, that's well, just have, just just the, just the word petite. Like what the word petite means in like even American culture does not describe Nicholas Petit Frere. And like headline writers and like uh ESPN Sports Center anchors are just like waiting to get their hands on that. Like you know, the top, the number eight play of the day is like Nicholas Petit Frere pancaking somebody. And uh, my goodness, the irony. The irony. Doug, who are you driving the bus for? All right. So I want to put this in context a little bit. I went through, and for longtime listeners of Buckeye Talk, um, caveat to this is that I have a terrible memory. Uh, I'm trying to remember who I have driven the bus for in the past. And so this is my personal recollection of guys that I think I have driven the bus for in the past. If you would go back now and say, well, Doug, I went back and looked at what you wrote about guys. There's no proof of you driving the bus for this guy. That might be true also. I I can't remember what I thought two days ago, much less 10 years ago. But here is what I think is my list of guys I have driven the bus for, some rationally, some irrationally. And there's some stars on here. And there are some guys who kind of missed on this list. So here we go. Dante Whitner, Malcolm Jenkins, James Laurinaitis, Brandon Sane, Jermail Hines, Lawrence Wilson, Jamal Berry, Christian Bryant, Storm Klein, Etienne Sabino, Dontre Wilson, Curtis Samuel, Superman, Dante Booker, Draymond Jones, Demario McCall, Tate Martell, and Baron Browning would be guys that I have said over time. I remember like saying when I thought like Storm Klein was going to be great, um, and he turned That's out a great not- name. Yeah, it's a great name. Maybe that was it. Maybe again, there's irrationality. It's like his name is Storm. Um, my uh, my high school sports mascot was the Storm. By the way, how did, Storm. How did that manifest itself um, as a mascot? It was like an angry wind vane. No, I don't know. It was just like an S. I think it wasn't really a 
we didn't really have like a, 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 a costume mascot. Not a cloud. You could be a cloud, right? You could be an angry cloud. I think there was, yeah, there might have been. Actually, I'm, I'm thinking now there was a lightning bolt. It was something, it was, it was very late in my career. We sort of switched over in the middle, but yeah, Salt Fork Storm. You switched your mascot halfway through we, your high school career? Our, our school, um, when, in Illinois, this is kind of popular, especially in the smaller rural areas. It did like a sports co-op between another, another neighboring school. And, and then we combined our athletic team. So instead of – we used to be the Cardinals, and they used to be the something Wolverines or something. So we combined into a completely new identity. And now those schools have all consolidated, and it's, it's actually the school Salt Fork. But back then, I was, I was an original Salt Fork Storm. Nice. Do you have a – do you like a T-shirt? Uh, probably. Yeah. Maybe not. That was, that was it's good. It's been 25 years now. So are you, were you near a uh, Hoopston at all? Hoopston, Illinois. So Hoopston, the corn jerkers, they were yes. up at the top. That's uh, the Thad Mata, um, guys up at the top of Vermilion County. Actually, I think they're basically like the last city in Vermilion County before town, before you get into Iroquois County. And then we were Indianola where I'm from is down at the bottom of the County. Oh, so you're in the same county, yeah? Because I went to Hoopston. We played against Hoopston. We played. We played Hoopston, and they were in our uh, conference ten years ago, and did like a hometown story on Thad Mata, and got a lot of corn jerker memorabilia. Um, oh yeah, I still have corn Dick Mata. Jerkers. His uh, his dad, Dick Mata, was a longtime coach around there. That I some of my earliest sports journalism experiences were interviewing Dick Mata for the Hoopston area girls basketball team he was coaching. Nice. Um, too bad he's not the uh, coach anymore. You guys would have uh, yeah. you could be his little like Illinois. County I mentioned friend. this. I mentioned it to Thad one time when I got to his table at Big Ten uh, Media Day. It was just like me and him. I'm like, oh hey, and and I said that to him. And he's like, oh how about that? But he said it very in a passive way. And then I remembered that like there have been like three other guys from my paper that have covered the Big Ten in some way over the years that have probably also said that same thing to him. Oh so yeah, he's kind of used to it by now. But nice. Um, Okay. So anyway, that, back to your pick. List. So like, I, like I really drove, I loved Christian Bryant. And the thing that you said at the start of this of like, this is dispassionate. This is a little different. Uh, not for me. Like I'm an irrational. I'm, and I, I was a beat writer. I mean, I was the beat writer for this stinking team for however long it was before I sort of whatever I am now. Um, I don't know. I probably wasn't dispassionate. I don't think that my, my attitude towards Eric Glover Williams was dispassionate or my attitude towards, Christian Bryant, like I'm probably unprofessional, but like I, God, I, I love, and I do have a softer spot for some of the Cleveland guys since we're Cleveland.com, and and back in the days we would do sort of like more hometown feature guys, but man, some of these guys, these Northeast Ohio guys, I loved Glenville safeties at Ohio State, Dante Whitner, Jermail Hines, Christian Bryant is just like a run of like hard hitting, like hybrid safety guys, and so um. All that said, and I've been on, you guys know, I mean, the Tate thing and like DeMario, Baron Browning, I've been very in on. And, and that's been one where I've like kind of been wrong, but I've just blamed it on the coaches. That's what my whole Bill Davis thing is like ruining Baron Browning. Um, so I didn't say Garrett Wilson, even though when they moved Garrett Wilson to the slot, I basically stood up at Ryan Day's news conference and said, yes, yes. But I thought, well, I can't take Garrett Wilson because Steven's going to take him because he picked him number one. So I maybe would take Garrett Wilson now, but that's not who I said I was going to take. I'm going to say that my I'm driving the bus for the combo of Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent. 
which is a little bit irrational because like Haskell Garrett is a senior and is really good. And there are other defensive tackles there, but I would, and like Davon Hamilton was just like really good for them. And it's going to be a third round pick in the NFL and they've had good defensive tackles. I believe perhaps irrationally that those two super highly rated guys who are like two top 50 national recruits at defensive tackle can give Ohio state a level of defensive tackle play. That is a step up. Um, from what they've had, even maybe from the Draymond Jones era. And I was a big Draymond Jones guy. So those are the two guys I'm going to say, because I was trying to go through and thinking like, well, who do I think is really going to be great that I really think is going to play and really think is going to pop. And um, there weren't like a ton of guys for me, like maybe seven banks, but that's kind of an obvious one. Um, you know, Bear, Baron Browning, I've been there for a while. There's no point in restating that. So Togiai and Vincent, I say, would say are my two. I considered Vincent, um, but I felt a little bit weird picking a guy who I've the only time I've seen him play football was at that spring practice where he was hitting a blocking sled, which I guess would have actually fit into more of the irrational thing you were talking about. Although I guess it's possible you could pick a, a, a true freshman who we've never seen play. But um, Stephen, what do you think about those guys in the middle? Because I, I agree with kind of what, what Doug is saying that, I mean, Haskell Garrett's in the mix too, but those two guys to me, I think my weakest take of the offseason people can go back and find it where I had some, I, I kind of questioned whether the interior of the defensive line was maybe going to be a weak spot of this defense. And I think I'm going to be proven potentially really, really wrong. Um, how do you, how do you look at those two guys? Yeah, I completely understand the Teron Vincent one. Tommy Togiai, we've seen at least a glimpse of what he can be with Teron Vincent, the excuse of, well, he was hurt the whole year, the whole year. So we don't know. He could have had a dominant year last year is always going to be able to be used very, you know, frequently so I completely understand that one but yeah I think from a talent st- I think from a star standpoint Ohio State's upgrading on its interior because last year they just had a lot of experienced guys but more like the Toronto Vincent thing yes he was hurt last year and that's your excuse for why you can say I think he might turn out to be you know one of the best defensive tackles in the country just because he was hurt last year and didn't get a chance to do it last year so we're going to take a break here in a moment uh, before we get into the text submissions. Again, 614-350-3315. I'm saying that like a radio guy, like you can call in and give your opinion right now. That's not why I said that. You have to text to sign up for the texts to be a part of this next time. But uh, quickly, Julian Fleming was picked by one text voter. Nicholas Petit Frere was picked by one text voter. And Tommy Togiai and Taryn Vincent were both mentioned by two text voters. So the guys at the top of the text list were not picked by us. And I think we're going to see I, – I think the number one guy was a little bit of a surprise. But we'll, we'll get into that um, after this break. We're back on Buckeye Talk talking about the Ohio State football player that we are driving the bus for in 2020. Can I, uh, interrupt, Steve, can I interrupt here quickly? Of course. Can I just say that your tease – I have like a knot in my stomach. I'm so excited to find out who the number one guy in the texter list is. Cause normally like when I'm compiling stuff, I know all the stuff. I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. I, that was, I think we probably picked up. I think there are people listening to this podcast who like called their friend into the room and said, <laughs> Maybe. you've got to hear who the texters voted for. Nathan said, you wouldn't believe it. Gosh, you, you maybe should try some radio, man. We'd hate to lose you on Buckeye talk. But this man, is, that tease was hot. I appreciate that. So the, the three people that <laughs> the three people at the top of the list, one of them I think is obvious, and the other two caught me a little bit by surprise. Um, 
But just to recap, Stephen picked Julian Fleming. I picked Nicholas Petit Frere. Doug cheated, as often he will, and picked oh. the combo of, of yeah. uh, Tommy Togiai and Taryn Vincent. Oh. We're gonna let him do that. There were some, there were some, there were some uh, texters out there for those of you listening who did kind of the same thing. And depending on how they did it, I may have counted both. Sometimes I didn't. Um, that's just the way it goes. Life's not fair. Um, but as I said, we got about a hundred votes. I'm curious. So if you guys had to guess, I want you each to guess. It's not fair because I've, I've tabulated, but you guys guess who the texters picked number one. Who was the, who was the most popular driving the bus for Buckeye among the texters? Either Justin Fields or Chris Olave. Doug? Um, who did you say? You said Justin Fields and Chris Olave? Is that what you said, Steve? Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say um, I'm going to say maybe Garrett Wilson, but actually I might go back to where we started with this from the original texter who used the phrase on March 2nd and who said, all aboard the Jamison Williams train. And I might say Jamison Williams because I think he might best fit um, the real true idea of what we're talking about here. So Justin Fields was mentioned by one texter. Huh. Chris Olave, I'm looking back through. I think he was mentioned by three. Um, I think Garrett Wilson was mentioned by three as well. So they got some support. Actually, I think Garrett Wilson may have only gotten a couple. This is a great, great podcasting. Was he only one? Yeah, he his so he yeah only one vote for Garrett Wilson. So I was a little bit surprised by by that. Not so much for Fields, but but Wilson I was. Um, but Doug, I was ecstatic to hear you tell that story about Jamison Williams because he was the number one vote getter among our texters. Oh wow! For the guy that they are driving the bus for in 2020, seven votes out of the 92, I think is the is the correct number of of text submissions we got. So what is that? That's like 8% of the, of the voting body picked Jamison Williams. Does that surprise you? How many of the people who picked him mentioned Ted Ginn Jr. in their text? Ted, Ted Ginn well, they Jr. All mentioned, Jr. Yeah, they all mentioned other people. Um, I think Jamison Williams can be our Jerry Judy. He reminds me so much of Percy Harvin. He reminds me a lot of Paris Campbell. Uh, here's a, the, his high school coach told Jamison, he reminded him of Ted Ginn. Everyone stated he reminds him of Ted Ginn. Um, we've seen flashes of that Ted Ginn, Paris Campbell-like speed. So, yeah, there's he's a guy that people look at and they see the special things that they've seen in other really electric, dynamic, top-end receivers. And he's at a position where there are so many names there. Um, mm. it's, it's easy if you don't remind yourself and if you're not, driving the train for him, you might forget about him because you're thinking about Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Julian Fleming. And that's why not only is he, he's like a great choice. I think he's like almost like the perfect fit for the true, the true, what we're looking for when we talk about this. Steven, um, I think I ended up with Jameson Williams in the draft. I believe I maybe uh, dropped him. Let me check. No, Steven got him. Yeah, no, Steven got him. Okay. yeah, I got him. Did I draft you dropped the Smith and Jigba. You, you got oh, yeah. yes, that's right. Okay, okay. Um, does that make sense to you that he would be the guy that they picked number one overall? Yeah. Or was the I most think, popular pick? I'm not surprised that he is a – I'm a little surprised he's the most popular pick just because we haven't seen much of him. But I'm not surprised that there are people who are riding that train just because 
the one time we did get to see him use that speed was against Miami of Ohio, where he took the simplest little pass and took it 61 yards for a touchdown. And that was where Ted, Ted Ginn Jr. Jr. was born. And you know, we haven't got to see much of him since then. So if he had, if he's going to have a role this year. And so we're going to get to see him do more of that, similar to what Paris Campbell did against Michigan, where he takes a foot pass and goes 78 yards for that. He's the one guy who I think is going to be on the rotation this year who has that ability to take small little things and turn them into big plays. And that, that, that idea of like you, you tore it up in garbage time against a Mac team. That's like where the legend of Demario was born. Demario went yeah. nuts against, I guess it was Bowling Green, like early in his career. And it was like, holy moly, who's this guy? So again, it's just like, that's like another check mark on the drive in the train um, list of whether you fit the category or not. Well, that's what I was about to bring up too. The, it, what gets dangerous is the, 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 <laughs> the, the comparisons they're making, Jerry Judy, Paris Campbell, Percy Harvin, Ted Ginn, these are all guys who did special impressive things against people other than Miami of Ohio's afterthoughts. So that's not completely fair because it's part of it is just like what opportunity do you have? And, and they were, they still had a lot of numbers at receivers last year. It was hard for him to get ahead of those seniors, I suppose. But do you guys, where, where are you guys on your bearish, bullish, whatever on how good Jamison Williams could be in 2020? Because I think he's, I think he's really talented. I just don't know what opportunity is there because that room is still so loaded. I think he's going to be in the top six. I wrote a headline after the big 10 championship game, literally saying why Paris, why Jamison Williams can be Ohio state football's next Paris Campbell. I don't, a lot of the guys who are going to be in the rotation, I think are great downfield threats is where they, if that's where they shine. I think he's the one guy who takes the little small thing, you know, and can where his yards after the catch are going to be where his, the majority of his production comes while the other guys are, you know, downfield threats where they'll be, they'll be able to make possession catches while he, he'll take the short stuff. If they start doing a lot of crossing around stuff, I think that's where he gets dangerous is in those best route situations. He seems to me like a guy who could be an afterthought at times, and then that could almost be his strength, that they're going to maybe find some packages for him. Maybe he gets more handoffs and sweeps and things like that where he can use that speed. Um, maybe there's like some four receiver spread out things that you could use him with. I just – I don't know that he's going to get a lot of volume in terms of targets, oh. but I think he could be strategically used. Why do you think that? Why not? No, that's – no, no. Why not is not an answer. But here's the thing why I think he makes sense, because he's not a freshman. Like the idea of like yeah, how's he going to fit in. He, he, we have four guys that are getting all this hype as true freshmen. True freshmen, who knows? We just made Steven say that Julian Fleming is going to get 1,000 yards. Julian yeah. Fleming's never played college football before. Jamison Williams has a year under his belt. There's really probably, if you had to guess, there's only three upperclassmen, non-true freshmen, who We're are going to factor in for sure at receiver. And yeah. it's Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jamison Williams. And Jamison Williams is the third guy on that list. He's not as hyped as Garrett Wilson. He hasn't been as productive as Chris Olave, but he certainly knows a lot more about college football than Julian Fleming, G. Scott, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and Mookie Cooper. So, you know, and again, I think a lot of times we can end up looking for packages. They don't put four receivers on the field very much. I am absolutely expecting that Jamison Williams is going to be one of the four primary outside receivers. He'll be a co-starter at one of the outside receiver spots. I don't – I'm a little curious, Stephen, why Paris Campbell is your comparison for him because I do think, like, we saw Jamison Williams 
It was one play, but it made a nice catch down the field um, when we were watching spring practice. I mean, he's not yeah. going to be in the slot. So Paris is a slot guy. So there, if, if you think that Jackson Smith, the Jigman, and Garrett Wilson are going to be in the slot, I don't know that he's not more of like a Terry McLaurin guy who did beat people down the field. That's probably a fair. Yeah, that's probably a fair, a better, a better analogy. I think just I, what I'm just think when I just think of I'm thinking of the speed and the ability to take you know the short passes or the, but Perry, Terry McLaurin is probably a better option because that's a guy who now he's not Paris Campbell fast but still had ridiculous top end speed and was able to make things go. So that's probably a better comparison for what he's going to be as an outside receiver. And I just think, I mean, the idea of, I don't know, it doesn't feel like Ryan Day is, is going to be much of a guy where they're using receiver H-back handoffs anymore. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know that that's, that's yeah. going to live. Um, but I just think they're probably in the end just going to end up like throwing the ball to this guy because he's probably pretty good. And he's a year more experienced than four of the guys he's competing against. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to read a couple of these comments um, from the 813. I really believe this offense has lacked an explosive speedster. Paris Campbell was fast, but I don't believe he was a crisp route runner. His hands were marginal until his senior season. I think Jameson Williams can be our Jerry Judy. Do you guys feel that same way that, like, there's a, a top-end speed that Ohio State has lacked? I guess even this guy is – this this texter is, is suggesting that even for the 2018 season, that they didn't necessarily have someone with the kind of speed – that Williams does. I think that's not true because it was proven at the combine exactly how fast those guys were, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's not, it's not true. No, exactly what you just said. I mean, Dixon, McLaurin and Campbell set the combine on fire with their 40 times. Um, no, those guys had, they had weird careers because I, those guys, you never quite knew how good they were. I feel like they were kind of maybe held back by JT at times. And then you couldn't, you never got a great handle on them. But I, I don't know that it was that they lacked explosiveness. I think the thing that maybe I would agree with is at times, nobody's been Ted Ginn Jr. since Ted Ginn Jr. here. Nobody's been that level of scary but that's not just about your speed it's about how you're used in the offense right um and so i get what they're saying but i don't think that it's ohio state has lacked speed at receiver i think maybe they haven't quite used their most explosive guys in the most explosive ways and i think maybe that will change yeah another texture from the 937 he reminds me so much of percy harvin it's crazy he's not just fast the way he accelerates is unbelievable it looks like he has another gear built into him that most humans don't Again, I think some of that comes from what you saw against Miami of Ohio. Someone like I, I would be waiting for him to do it. I'm not doubting that he can, but I want to see him do it against frontline Big Ten competition. Um, uh, his 517, his touchdown against Miami impressed me. His effortless strides remind me a lot of Paris Campbell. Um, although someone, I fear that his lack of blocking ability will limit his snaps this fall. But you guys are both saying that you feel like he's going to be in that the top four of the outside guys. I think so. Yes. I mean, right, I'd, so I'd, I'd be, sh- I'd be, I would almost be shocked if he's not. Yeah. Because if he's not, then it's that like, you know, Jalen Harris or Cameron Babb or somebody like that yeah. beat him out because we're already putting two of the true freshmen in the outside mix, right? I mean, our assumption on the outside is Olave, Fleming, Scott, and Williams. So that's two mm-hmm. true freshmen, a junior. And a second year guy. So um, it's one of those things. It's like as as deep as they are when they're playing six, they've kind of got room 
for the guys who really need a role. And so I think he makes a lot of sense as one of the six. So he was our number one vote getter. The next two guys tied with five apiece are both defensive players. It's none of the people that we picked and it's none of the people that you both guessed might be number one. Let, let me get, can we get, right, Steven, you guess yes. first. I have my two guesses. Josh Proctor. And who's your other guess? I would say, I want to go, Trey Sermon. No, I said two defense guys. Oh, two defense guys. Okay. Josh Proctor or, Se- or uh, Seven Bay. Oh, no, or Tough Borland. I'll just, yeah. Not Tough Borland? You think people think Tough Borland? They're driving the, what is it, the train? No, the bus. Driving the bus. <laughs> you think people are driving the bus for Tough Borland? I do. I think there are some people out there who feel like we've been too tough on no pun intended okay. on tough Borland. I let me be. I will be happy to be wrong. My guess would be tough <laughs> Borland was not mentioned by anybody, and my guess would be Josh Proctor and Seven Banks. You're wrong that he was mentioned by nobody. We'll get to that in a moment. But you're also both wrong about Proctor and Banks, although they did have support. The next two vote getters, five votes apiece. Banks was close. He had four, and Proctor was down two or three. Um, the next two guys, both linebackers, Baron Browning, your old guy, and Justin Hilliard, which I thought was a really interesting pick. But I think it's a guy that people appreciate that he's been here six years or will have been here six years. They appreciate the the fight that he's gone through from an injury standpoint. And I think below all of that is they remember five, six years ago when he came in as a really highly ranked recruit. And they've never gotten to see that payoff. And they, I, I feel like fans always, no matter how long a guy's been around, and you can say this about Hillier, you can say this about Demario McCall, when you have that five-star next to your name or that top 50 whatever next to your name, I think people always feel like that's always in there just waiting to erupt. And I think there's some people who think that could be with Justin Hillier. Now, again, he's, he's fourth in a three-linebacker situation as far as we know, depending on what they do with Baron Browning. But – so I don't know what the opportunity is going to be. But I thought I, Browning made a lot of sense. I would have assumed Browning would get a lot of votes. Hilliard was the one that surprised me. Yeah, it sounds more like they're not necessarily driving the bus or the train, whatever we're calling this thing. They're more just rooting for a kid who's had a tough time in his college career. More than it is like they think well, he's going to have some breakout season. It's more just, well, I hope he gets to a season and is pretty good because he's had a tough time. So let me just read a couple of these because it it, it, it does it goes beyond just, aw, shucks, that guy's – Really had a tough time of it. From the 480, I think this man could be a star. He has massive talent, good instincts, always around the ball making plays when he gets in the game. If he gets more significant playing time, he has all Big Ten talent. Uh, another guy from the 919, he is a former five-star recruit that has suffered many injuries, never really got started. Last three flashed some athleticism during limited play while running down running backs and slots on the edge. His quick penetration and sure tackles reminded me of Jerome Baker. Um, let's see. I mean, it, it, so it's it's it, people are are saying um, that they think he's 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 more than just a a a good luck story or a hard luck story or a feel good story. They think he could be one of Ohio State's three best linebackers. Do you guys think that that's even potentially in the cards for him? I do not. I think Perrin Browning is going to be their best linebacker, and then Pete Warner and Tuff Warren are going to be the starters, and then there's uh, Taraj Mitchell might is probably going to rotate with Tuff Warren but I don't think he's going to be one of the best linebackers this year. Yeah, I think they'll I, use him like they did against Wisconsin where like in special situations where they need four linebackers, that's where he'll get his time. 
He played, uh, thanks to uh, the wonderful 11 Warriors snap count chart, he played 106 snaps last year. That was actually fewer – that's on defense. That was even fewer snaps than Dallas Gant played. Yep. That was fewer snaps than Brendan White played. Like, tough – Pete Werner played uh, – Malik Harrison played 700 snaps. Pete Werner played 600. Justin Hilliard barely played 100. He played 54 of his 106 snaps in – the two Wisconsin games and the Michigan game. Yep. He is tailored to a certain kind of offense, which is not the offense that you normally see. He played three snaps against Clemson. And so um, he has had tough luck. I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting pick. Um, I think there might be too much proof out there that he's just not going to be, what people are hoping, whereas like a guy like Jamison Williams, it's like he hasn't had the chance to show it yet. Justin yeah. Hilliard has been limited by injuries, but he was kind of around last year, and he was a situational linebacker against teams that use like two tight ends and a fullback. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's going to happen. And you have to remember my perspective coming in from the outside and learning players right before the season. Justin Hilliard was someone that I – had no um, just mention of until he played against Wisconsin. Then it was all of a sudden, oh, I guess this is the guy that we have to write about this week. And then, as you say, he kind of disappeared again until they needed him again in a a little bit of a similar situation. I think the other thing to remember with Hilliard, too, um, is that I think there has to be a big separation between him and any of these juniors as far as getting a bigger role because – I'm going to probably lean towards a guy who this experience this year is going to help next year if it's a toss-up between a senior and a junior. So, and again, just again, the comparison on this with Justin Hilliard. Malik Harrison, like in a big game, was playing 50 to 60, almost 70 snaps last year. Justin Hilliard never played more than 20 snaps in a single game. Even when everybody went nuts and wrote about him after Wisconsin, he played 18 snaps. So, like, but – I actually am going to disagree with your second point because I always think that way and Ohio state often does not think that way. And they are not in the business of getting ready for next year because it's all about this year because there should be a national title contender every year. There is no such thing as next year with Ohio state. And so if they think Justin Hilliard, if it's tough, that's what I thought with Brandon Bowen and Nicholas Petit Frere and it didn't happen. They said that was close. I would have thought, well, okay, it's close. Play the young guy who's going to be a returning starter at tackle for you the next year. Nope, they played Brandon Bowen. So if I will say, to me, if Justin Hilliard proves that him being on the field 40 snaps a game makes Ohio State better, they'll give it to him. I just don't think it's going to happen. I understand what you're saying. I will say the difference there being between a fifth-year senior and a redshirt freshman as opposed <laughs> to a sixth-year senior and a junior that, that that changes that equation a little bit, but I I see what you're saying, and I and I agree that there's some there's evidence of that too. Um, Baron Browning, I thought he was like the most obvious choice of a guy that people would still be driving the bus for because he's a guy who, even though he played a decent amount last year and was successful, was kind of a co-starter there with Borland, even out snapped him in a lot of important games. Has never been the guy. Has never just. It feels like he hasn't been fully unleashed in a way that that people think his talents could 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 break through and the impact he could have. This, so do you guys feel the same way that this is a guy who 
there's still this like reservoir of performance that hasn't totally been tapped yet. I do. And the re- and part of it is he's going to be able to do the from what he said, he's get, he's going to get be able to get back to what he came to Ohio State to do. He's an outside linebacker again. He gets to be Malik Harrison where he gets to just go and make plays and doesn't have to worry about being the quarterback of the defense as the middle linebacker anymore. So that's where I think the driving the bus might go a little bit more crazy because now he just gets to go out there and be, you know, a five-star athlete. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm out, you know, I, I wrote two years ago that they should yeah. move this guy to outside linebackers. So when you look, he basically had th- three games last year that he missed because of injury. He ended up playing 50 fewer snaps um, than Borland, but like against Clemson, Borland played 34, Browning played 33. They basically split it. And like you said, Nathan, there were some big games where Browning played more. Um, I think he's a great category for this because he's, he's shown what he can do at times, but he's going to sounds like he's going to get a chance to do something he's never done here before as a senior, which again is an indictment of Bill Davis. Sorry for the, the uh, tangent. Yeah. I mean, he's the one of all these guys that are mentioned up at the top that I think people were putting this on the coaching staff for the reason that they still have to drive the bus for the guy because he has not been put in the position to really thrive the way they think he could. We have uh, one uh, texter from the 619 calls him the most physically skilled linebacker Ohio State has had since Ryan Shazier, a guy who obviously went to the NFL and had success before um, his unfortunate injury. It, I, and I, when I talked to Baron Browning, I wrote a story last year. I feel like he – he doesn't go all the way there, but he feels that a little bit too. He says that there were, you know, things went, things were not great with the old coaching staff. Maybe he didn't handle it the best either. It was a growing experience for him. And, and last year was kind of an extension of that where Borland was still going to start, but he was going to have a big role and it was going to have to be about what they did together. I am really intrigued though, moving him over to Will and, and letting him be that guy off the edge, I think is a really, really intriguing wrinkle for this defense. And it's it's um, a great it's a great vote by everybody who voted for him. I think it's a really smart vote. Yeah. Um, the next tier of guys, uh, let me. It's a lot of defensive guys. The next tier of guys: Seven Banks, Zach Harrison, and Taraja Mitchell. Um, anybody from that group that that you guys feel like is that a guy that you would also maybe be in that same position, kind of you know, driving the bus for what they could be this year? Stephen is that for Zach Harrison? Yeah, or, I am. I, yeah, I, I'm. I think I'm more of that for Zach Harrison than Tyreek Smith at this point because Zach Harrison, this is year three for Tyreek Smith, and so for him, it's more. Listen, you need to step up because it's year three. While Zach Harrison can get ahead of the curve in a way, not quite to the Chase Young level. I'm not ever. No, that we need to throw that out the window when we're comparing guys from now on. But the simple fact that when Nick when Nick Bosa went down, Chase Young had to take on a role that maybe that he wasn't expecting to have as a second-year guy. And that might be Zach Harrison's situation this year if Tyreek Smith doesn't step up, where all of a sudden maybe the role he – maybe the way people would have planned game planned for him as a junior, people are going to be doing that as a sophomore. Well, well some of the people voting for Zach Harrison disagree with you, Stephen, because they're not just driving yeah, a bus. No. They're driving like a uh, a Hummer yeah. limo or whatever, like the like a, just a giant deluxe um, – vehicle here uh, from the 614 I firmly believe Zach Harrison is the next Chase Young with another year under Larry Johnson a more central role in defense and his attitude and athleticism I think he turns into a guy we're talking about this year as a favorite for the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft 
Chase thought that too. I think Chase Young signed up for our texting services. He's driving <laughs> some of these. He would not stop talking about Zach in the locker room after the big ten. Well, he bet he better not drop out after the two week free trial because he'll yeah, be able to afford he it. Af- soon. Yeah, he can afford it. Uh, You're a the millionaire. From the three three zero, he isn't being talked about in the same breath as Chase Young or Nick Bosa, but he has flashed a lot of brilliance in the pass rush, and he appears incredibly capable in the run defense as well. He may not have some of the highlight reel moments Chase Young has, but Young was equally as valuable as a guy who always acquired a double team even when he wasn't getting the quarterback, and I think Harrison will do that too, freeing up room for guys like Baron Browning to get the QB off the blitz. I think he'll cement his status as Larry Johnson's next first-round pick. Um, do, Doug, I mean, do, do you see him following that same path that you saw these other guys follow? Do you think he's, like, naturally following in the Bosa Young? Have you seen enough after one year to feel like he's following that those footsteps? So Chase was the number seven overall recruit in 2017. Mm-hmm. Zach Harrison was the number 12 overall recruit in 2019. So from that standpoint, they were both the highest rated guys that Ohio State got in their class. The thing that I think, and I, and I think it's very possible, like as you talk about this, I have just not really thought about Zach Harrison that way. And maybe that's wrong because I think the thing that adds to voting for Zach Harrison for something like this is that he did not go to a big time football high school. You know, I only saw him play one time in high school, but it's because he played the high school a block from my house, and he was a foot taller than everybody on the field. And so he's he's not coming from an established powerhouse like Chase Young at DeMathen. He's not coming from a place like St. Thomas Aquinas where the Bosa brothers played, or he's not coming from IMG or these schools that play yeah. all over the country. He just came from a normal high school. And so I think he had a steeper learning curve in year one. So I was very big last year on the idea of, hey, all these times that everybody says, hey, just double team Chase Young and then you're going to be in trouble with the guy on the other side. And I was like, no, you're not. I put four guys on Chase Young because I don't think the guys opposite him are doing all that much damage. I think that has leaked into my perception of Zach Harrison where actually making the leap from year one to year two, what he is naturally as a player with the instruction that he got, the fact he didn't play a high level of high school football, I think there are a lot of things there that actually do make a lot of sense for a huge jump this year. Just It's just the dangerous part of, as Steven said, man, Chase Young is – To New York. He's the peak of the <laughs> Ohio State defensive end pyramid. The only way Zach Harrison can go higher than Chase Young is if he wins the Heisman. Exactly. Like, that's what we're talking about here. And it's some, listen, you just happen to be the guy after Chase. So you got to deal with it. It wasn't as, it probably wasn't as big of a deal when people were saying it was Chase and Nick, Nick Bosa. As great as Nick Bosa was, there was still some room left to climb. There's no room to climb here. So let's, I don't want to hear Chase Young's name when we're talking about the next great defense. Just call him, he's Larry Johnson's next big time defensive end in Ohio State. I'm, I mean, name Chase Young should not come out of anybody's mouth. When comparing any, I don't care if it's Zach Harrison, Jack Sawyer, when he gets here, I don't care who it is. And it's the idea of, again, Bosa, Bosa, Young. It's the third pick, the second pick, and probably the second pick. I mean, it's. And, and would have been the first book had, had, had the team, who had, had the Bengals not needed a quarterback. Well, but and Joe Burrow not had the best season ever. That's, so. that's, you can't give that caveat because people always take quarterbacks number one. But when you're the first non-quarterback drafted, that's a thing, right? Because we know quarterbacks go yeah. high. So, like. If you want to tell me, but I think it's, I think there's a lot of room to be like just a cut below that, like better than Tyquan Lewis, better than Sam Hubbard, 
better than Jalen Holmes, like better than, you know, other defensive ends that we've seen come through here, but like maybe not quite top five pick in the draft good, but maybe like the 12th pick in the draft. So I think, but I think the way Steven and I are arguing against it can actually lead to us then like underrating Zach Harrison because our primary point is he's not going to be Chase Young. And it's like, okay, nobody is ever going to be Chase Young. How about (laughs) being an All-American who has 14 sacks as a sophomore? And it's like, well, that's possible. I just don't think he's going to win the Heisman. So I do think the Chase Young comparison is problematic. But Zach Harrison on this list, if you want to drive the bus for Zach Harrison, I think you have a list of reasons to do so. Yeah, Seven Banks was the other guy um, that got four votes, and that one I think was obvious. Doug, it made sense that you would pick him as be one of the, the guys that maybe even got more votes just because he's a, it's a position of need. He's got an awesome name. He looked good in the one spring practice we got. I can see why people are driving the bus for him. Taraja Mitchell is interesting because it, his case is more like a situation where um, – <clears throat> More like what we were just talking about with Baron Browning in some way. Well, here, so from the 813, um, once he gets his shot, I think it's going to be Haskins and Burrow-esque. People are going to be saying, why was he on the bench so long? Um, another uh, texter saying from, from the 740, I believe the coaches don't trust him as far as knowing the defense inside and out. Put him out there and let him hit some people. I don't think I agree that the coaches don't think Taraja Mitchell was good enough to play Oh, well, let me, let me say this. I don't think there's some – I don't think the coaches are making that decision against their best interest. I think there was a reason why Taraja Mitchell didn't play over the guys from last year. Either it was injury was part of it, but I also think they see things in Pete Werner and, yes, for the naysayers, Tough Borland, and those other guys that there just weren't snaps for Taraja Mitchell last year. Tough Borland is blocking a lot of talent. And yeah. as you said, Ohio State is not playing Tough Borland because they think he's worse than the guys behind him. They believe in Tough Borland as like the, the centerpiece of this defense, as the quarterback of the defense. And it's almost like he's a distributor, that maybe you don't need the most athletic guy in the world at middle linebacker if he's making sure that Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Teron mm-hmm. Vincent and Tommy Togiai and Josh Proctor and Seven Banks and Sean Wade get lined up right. Let all those guys make up the 10 other guys be playmakers let's make sure that we're making the right defensive call but the main issue last year is that Taraja Mitchell was the third middle linebacker and when you're third on the depth chart you're never going to play so he was behind Borland and Browning Browning moving outside I think opens up the chance for Mitchell to be that second middle linebacker that rotates with tough Borland however I've had people tell me that the best comparison for Taraja Mitchell is tough Borland that Browning was different than Borland. Browning's more athletic. He's better in space. He's a different kind of guy. I think actually Mitchell is a lot like tough Borland, which actually then makes it a little harder to play him because it's like, he's as good as tough Borland. He's like, he's not as good. He's like him. He's not quite as good and he's not quite as experienced. So then why would you play him? So I do think it'll be a rotation at middle linebacker. I just think Taraja Mitchell is in a really really tough spot and as much as they play two linebackers I think when they play two linebackers and they're in a nickel look and they're looking for guys to be in space and cover I would imagine it's going to be Pete Werner and Baron Browning and I'm not sure that Taraja Mitchell's going to fit in there either yeah I agree with that yeah Werner makes the most sense as one of the two guys in those 
those two linebacker looks, and you would assume that you're going to want Baron Browning on the field for as many um, passing downs as possible because that's going to be a big part of his role, at least what we've heard so far this spring. So I think I agree with everything you're saying there, and it's it's one of those unfortunate because it's not it's not a knock against Taraja Mitchell. It's just what happens sometimes on a roster. Um, I, I love Taraja Mitchell, and like I thought he was like the next Raquan McMillan. Right. That like because mm-hmm. I, I think he is that kind of guy a lot like tough is you what as much as Baron Browning sort of wants to be freed up and does not want that responsibility to run a defense. I think Taraja Mitchell thrives on that. Mm-hmm. I think he yearns for that. It's just so happens they have a five time captain or however many times tough Borland's been a captain right in front of him. And I don't know if he can get around him. And so this happens at a place like Ohio State. I think Taraji Mitchell is a really good football player and I'm excited for him to be on the field, but I'm not sure that I could drive the bus for him because I just, I just don't know exactly how it's going to happen. Moving on to the next tier. And again, some, some really interesting names in here. Um, As of two o'clock, this, this player did not have any votes. And I put out another hit at two saying, Hey, if you don't have your votes in yet. And in like the next 15 minutes, we got three votes for Cameron Babb. And I thought that was another really interesting name because he's someone else that he fits into so many of those reasons why you drive a bus for him. All the talent he had in high school, especially being supposedly kind of a speedy guy and his ranking or whatever. And then he gets hurt. So you just haven't seen him. It's all, it's all promise. And it, there's nothing on the field that makes you doubt that the promise can't be fulfilled to its ceiling. Um, but I thought he was a really interesting name because I just don't know that there's going to be an opportunity for him in this mix. One of the early things I remember, someone texted or something at some point that like they saw Cameron Babb was out like working out at his high school during all this stuff once everybody left campus and stuff. So the injury thing, as you said, always makes a guy more intriguing. It's so crowded there, and he's he's really had some tough injuries. Um, it would almost take again like if you're moving him in and thinking I believe in this guy, he's got to take a spot from somebody mm-hmm. like G Scott, right? And it's like right. well. Okay, we just said it's hard to rely on freshmen, but, man, they are so crowded at receivers. It's like how many different receivers can people be driving the bus for? Because, I mean, maybe it's eight different guys, but I'll tell you, eight guys aren't going to play at receiver. I actually – and I, you're right. I do think the more I think about it, what, the, the point you're making about the freshman receivers makes a lot of sense. And it, it the, the truncated spring and the fact that we don't know what kind of a – preseason there will be before this coming season probably makes it more likely that someone like Jamison Williams or even a Cameron Babb or some of these other guys might be able to hold on to these spots over the true freshmen because those guys just didn't get to have the spring that they were supposed to have and that was where they were supposed to be able to maybe catch up or flash or do whatever they needed to do to to get higher in the, the coaches opinions going into the fall. And Cameron Babb is a third-year guy. He's just been yeah. hard enough. He had a redshirt. He's, we were talking about, well, Jamison Williams has two. This is his second year coming up. This is Cameron Babb's third year. So, like, playbook, being at practice, watching film, taking Brian Hartline's tutelage, all that. That guy's absorbed as much as, as, as anybody other than Chris Olave, right? I mean, Chris Olave in their recruiting class in 2018 – as Steven Chris Olave was 399 in the country. Cameron Babb was the number 73 player in the country. So like Chris Olave is a stud. 
Cameron Babb was rated 300 spots higher than that. He's just been hurt. So I don't know. I mean, Nathan, you might have a point. Of all the years when it's going to be really hard for freshmen to play at a place like Ohio State, maybe it's this year more than any. Uh, another guy with three votes, Jonathan Cooper, who was a guy that I think gets a little bit forgotten for being mm-hmm. a, a fifth-year guy coming back next year and a captain and everything he meant to, means to this team. And Because I think people look at Zach Harrison, they look at Tyreek Smith, they look at, at even someone like Tyler Friday maybe even – and still see a ceiling, and they maybe think they've seen Jonathan Cooper's ceiling. But some of the, the points that um, some of our texters are making that um, you know, from the 614, this is a weird name to throw out there because he's very much in the spotlight but also overlooked. But he's saying Jonathan Cooper. I believe this year is finally the year we see Jonathan Cooper break out. We know he's an amazing leader, but I think Coop this year is a name by the end of the season. People go, oh, man, where did he come from? Oh, yeah, he was a five-star. I, first of all, I don't think it's a weird name to throw out. I think it, it's it's an obvious name to throw out because, again, what we were saying before. But I don't think I would drive the bus for him just because the way that rotation is set up and the talent that some of those other guys have, I think, is is going to win out. Yeah, I'm not going to drive that bus because I do think we've seen his ceiling to this point. It's, you know, he's not like – he's not a fifth-year, six-year guy like Justin Hilliard is where he just – he was hurt. It's just – he's He's been decent, but he hasn't been as good as the guys around him. And he's just back another year because he missed most of last year. But I don't think he's going to take another step forward in his career. I just think he is what he is. He'll be a part of the rotation. He'll be quality. But I'm not seeing that he's going to be a first-team All-Big Ten type of guy this year. If you look again at the snaps from last year, Jonathan Cooper played three games in the middle of the year. He missed the first four games, and he played three, and then they realized, hey, we're going to redshirt this guy. We're not going to play him anymore. Uh, He then came back and played one game in the Michigan game. He played 51 snaps against Michigan, which actually is a little bit – a little bit of maybe proving the point of what the texters are saying. And then they didn't play him. That was the fourth game. You can't play more than four. Actually, I'm like making – I didn't see the 51. I'll just say this now. There was like games in the middle of the year, like the Michigan State game. Chase Young played 63 snaps. Tyler Friday was hurt for the game. But Tyreek played 28. Cooper played 24. Zach Harrison played 14. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's just an example. Just let me drop the snap count on you guys. Defensive end snaps against Michigan. Chase Young, 67. Jonathan Cooper, 51. Nobody else played more than 13. But that makes sense in context because yeah. it was going to be his last game. There was really no reason not just let him go. And yeah. and he's a guy that you can leave in when that game gets lopsided, and it's not like you're leaving Chase Young in the game and picking on him. It doesn't get, like, yeah. grotesque. I think the fact that it was a Michigan game is why he played that much. That too. But I also, but I see what you're saying. I mean, if he were to have a role that where he's, and I don't think he's going to get 51 routinely, but if he's closer to that than he is down in the teens, I'll say that two two years ago, and this is something we we forget about Jonathan Cooper because again, it's not he's not the guy going back there getting 12 sacks or whatever. But two years ago, I'm pretty sure he was an honorable mention All Big Ten player in 2018, and then last year, last year all the injuries. Now it's honorable mention All Big Ten defense, right? All those things are true. I'm just saying that if he I think if he gets back to the 2018 level of performance and gives them that for a full season, Ohio State's defense is absolutely better than it would be without it. Mm, I don't know if I would agree with that because I think if they have Zach Harrison, I think if Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and like yeah. one of the other guys of like Tyler Friday and Javante John Baptiste, like if they're good, 
then I don't know. I mean, I, I will say this. I think there is the, the potential for us to be very wrong in how we're expecting defensive end to go. And when you have Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and Jonathan Cooper as five guys all coming back, all who have played, all have you know, good pedigrees, but nobody's been a star exactly yet. I think there's room in there for at the end of the season, people to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that blank was, you know, the second best defensive end on this team. And I think, I think it could apply to almost anybody. I would not drive the bus for Jonathan Cooper. I think we all could be very wrong about that though. And maybe he is a guy worth driving for. So take Harrison off and take Tyreek Smith off, who I think is, is the most, uh, is the other front runner. Who among the other group would you drive the bus for in like a mini bus, a sub, a sub section of the bus here, a little sidecar? Who would you drive that for to be the surprise defensive end? I, I'll just say I, I almost picked Javante Jean Baptiste. That's who I would pick. I thought about my, it, yeah. That's my bus drive. Because I just feel like he's there are athletic gifts there that I'm really intrigued by. Yeah, the athletic gifts plus the combination of what Ohio State is doing from a physical standpoint to try to bring that out of him and the fact that maybe he wasn't a true defensive end when he came to college and now he's had two years to learn that position under Larry Johnson and Chase Young and, and the other guys. Um, he's just an intriguing athlete to me. And I just but the, the unknown is just how he will get used and what kind of snaps are available to him in 2020. And, and I don't, I agree with you, but Javante John Baptiste, the number 219 recruit in his class, Jonathan Cooper, the number 33 recruit right. in his class. So mm-hmm. like there's a lot of guys on this roster that have talent and that's why you can be wrong. Right. right. Like it's, it's actually, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to diagnose a team when there's not a ton of guys with talent and you're trying to figure out sort of who's going to be okay. Sometimes with a team like Ohio State, it's hard to diagnose it because, like, well, everybody's a four-star. Everybody's a top 200 national recruit. Everybody's got it in them somewhere, somehow, and you just don't know who's going to bring it out of themselves the most. But, again, people who are voting for Jonathan Cooper, it doesn't sound like we would vote for him. He was a top 50 national player who's now back as a fifth-year senior and as a captain again. Makes sense to me to pick him. We are getting kind of late in, in, the, in the, the running here. I want to get to some interesting comparisons here in the voting. Um, this one surprised me a little bit, but only, I think maybe the guy who got less votes of these two guys, maybe people feel like the bus doesn't need to be driven for him, but I, I thought it was an, a no-brainer. Um, Marcus Hooker, three votes. Josh Proctor, two votes for people driving the bus for those guys. I, I, that, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the Marcus Hooker Ohio State pedigree. But it still surprised me that there's more people driving the bus for kind of the um, lesser ranked backup safety than the guy who many people think could step in and just be a, a stud as soon as he gets his starting job this fall, assuming he does. Are you surprised by that, Stephen? I'm very surprised by that because I think everybody is in love with Josh Proctor. So I know I am, but I, I do think that's a little bit surprised. But it's also, I think – Josh Proctor not practicing day one and us coming out of that saying saying that Malik Hooker – I mean, I'm sorry, Marcus Hooker had a pretty solid first practice. He showed some things. Maybe, you know, put some things in people's minds of, hey, maybe Marcus Hooker can beat Josh Proctor out for the job. I think also the Clemson 
Josh Proctor had great moments, but the last time they saw him on a football field, Trevor Lawrence was, you know, breaking his ankles and going 60 yards for a touchdown. So I think some that's in the back of some people's minds where, yeah, his ceiling might be really high, but it just seems like his floor is also extremely low. I think that's what it is. Josh Proctor was given the opportunity to make mistakes. And Marcus yeah. Hooker hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. Um, and young guys make mistakes. So it ends up being sort of like a negative for Josh Proctor. And he did. I mean, he was out of position on several of those yeah. things. But yeah. they also put him on the field as a starting safety when he hadn't played all year. So that's also on Ohio State for the way they decided to use him. Um, and I, we don't know. Would Marcus Hooker have done better in that circumstance? I would guess no, because Josh Proctor was playing ahead of him. So um, I do think that is lingering in people's minds. Marcus Hooker is a wonderful unknown. And Josh Proctor has a little bit of film that's not great. And you can explain why it's not great, but it's not great. And Marcus Hooker doesn't have any film that's not great because he barely has any film at all. Mm Uh, Trey Sermon and Master Teague, three votes apiece. Those were the leading vote getters among running backs. Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley, Mayan Williams, all one vote apiece. So, um, but the kind of the general theme there was people are just like, just any, just some running back has to step up. And I don't think a lot of people were too concerned about who it is. I think there's still just kind of a prevailing thought of it. it uh, somebody needs to do it. Um, there oh, def- Tom Borland. There, there definitely ahead. are people who are. People out in the world who were very excited about the Trey Sermon transfer. Yes. And mm-hmm. I feel like on, on this podcast, we sort of downplayed it more yes. than a lot of other places. And did. that's what some of the reaction is, too, of the people driving the bus. It's people reacting to people like us maybe being very realistic about the Trey Sermon ceiling. Um, there's also, I think, people who react to the um, the hate. I hate some maybe the right word, but the, the um, doubt that is out there about how good Master T could be. Um, I think that is why people are driving the bus. They're driving the bus into traffic or whatever you want to say. Like they're they're driving against resistance and they're they're pedal to the metal on those guys. And and again, like I I am not excited necessarily about either of those two guys. Um, and I'm I'm wrong all the time. So like I don't know who to be excited about at running back for Ohio State for the 2020 season. I know to be excited about Travion Henderson the year after. Um. But it would not shock me if, like, somebody is correct of whether you're driving it for Sermon or Teague or Marcus Crowley, that that somebody at the end of the year of those groups would be like, see, I told you I knew that guy would be awesome. But that also means that the people driving for the other two guys probably are wrong. Um, But probably somebody has to emerge. Uh, Tough Borland was a really interesting vote. Um, We had one vote. From the 937, my guy is for sure tough Borland. It's a guy I feel is so consistent and has so many intrinsic leadership qualities that may get overlooked. My friends like to crack jokes about him. Maybe the name has a bit to do with it and throw doubt his way. But this is a guy who has successfully blocked a group of guys who came after him and were arguably more talented um, and goes on with, with more explanations why they voted for tough Borland. And then from the 419, I am absolutely riding the bus for any linebacker not named tough Borland. I think he's our weakest link on defense and has been exposed in a lot of games. I'm not exactly sure why Gant, Mitchell, or Pope can't even sniff the playing field. Am I missing something? Uh, and then he goes on to give a little um, uh, love to me with a little league uh, analogy because he knows I like baseball. So there is he, he, he's the most polarizing player on this team. He's the JT Barrett of the defense. That's a great comparison. That's exactly the comparison I was thinking of too. Why did you say that, Steven? One, he's going to be a three-time captain. So that's the, yeah, but more there are plenty of fans who are confused on why he's still playing. 
but he keeps beating guys out. There was after the national championship game, it's hey, should Cardell be the starting quarterback? Well, JT beat him out. People in 2017, should Dwayne Haskins been the starting quarterback? And then 2018 comes around and it really grows them. Should Dwayne have been the starting quarterback in 2017? But JT Baird beat him out. And it's been the same thing with Tough Borland, where there's a bunch of four and five star guys behind him and he just keeps beating them out. It, brand new coaching staff, Al Washington, fresh start for everybody. And Tough Borland still beats out Baron Browning to be the starting middle linebacker. So to be fair, Cardale did beat out JT at the start of 2015. Yeah, to be fair, yeah, yeah, he did get then, he did whisper in his ear and run out first, yes, and then eventually. And then, they, then they decided yeah. to to bench Cardale in the third series of week two on a short week. Yeah, they lost their minds. But anybody, <laughs> anyway, I do think it's a good comparison. I would disagree with the idea that he is the most polarizing player on the roster because I actually think most fans think he shouldn't play. Like I don't know, I'm not sure there is Maybe. a polarization. I was shocked that he got one vote. I think most fans probably are in agreement of like, man, isn't there a more athletic guy who could play at middle linebacker? But I think Steven's point is exactly right. If I blame Bill, Bill Davis for everything, well, the new linebackers coach played him too. And people seem to think Al Washington's a good, like good coach. So like we're, we, the, the vast majority of us, the people here on Buckeye talk and the people listening, I guess might be wrong. Because we kind of don't get it. But I, I feels like to me that it's probably at least 80-20 that people are like, Tough Borland plays too much. So this isn't a full list, but I want to run through some of the other guys who got at least one vote. Uh, from the 419 for Jalen Gill. Uh, from the 816 for Jalen Harris. Uh, from the 937 for Tyreek Johnson. The 513 for Dewan Jones. Um, and also one for Matthew Jones. I forgot to put the uh, area code down for that. Um, we did get one vote for Jack Miller and none for CJ Stroud. Uh, well, another the from, reasoning for the Jack Miller one, though. Uh, I could read that. Uh, no, que- yeah. from the two one four, no question top of mind. But the buck I am pulling for is Jack Miller. For at least a year, every recruiting article or conversation talked about him as the future, making him Ryan Day's first hand-picked quarterback. Great arm, sharp kid, good family, etc. Then he had a tough stretch of injuries, and everyone moved on to the new shiny object in C.J. Stroud. Even though that Jack Miller stayed loyal, committed, and handled everything with maturity beyond his years. Stroud may be great, I hope he is, but Miller feels completely forgotten that I'm pulling for him to have a successful career. And this is actually was a topic of one of the videos that we did um, mm-hmm. back, uh, I guess, around the signing day. Was is is Jack Miller kind of the forgotten guy in this class because he was that that was what he was. He was the one that Ryan Day pointed to him and said, "You're going to be my first guy." And then things went a different direction. Now they're still competing head to head, but I think he's right that that Stroud kind of became this you know, the new kid on the block and got a lot of all this attention and affection. And Jack Miller is just kind of quietly going about his business, probably still trying to be a good quarterback. And I'm intri- I'm intrigued to see how that battle ultimately turns out. It might not be a slam dunk for Stroud the way people think it is. Um, I, I do think but, in the voting like this, that does factor into it, right? That, that, yeah. yeah. That I think everybody feels that. We've talked about the people feel that. Um, and the one thing is it's funny about Ryan Day as a quarterback. Like the, the first guy that, re- that Ryan Day really threw his lot in with here at Ohio State was Matthew Baldwin. Now, that was late in the process. They had some decommits, but it was like, hey, Matthew Baldwin was going to go to Colorado State, but Ryan Day went down and, and picked him out plucked him out of Texas, out of that high school that Baker Mayfield went to, that Garrett Wilson went to. This is like Ryan Day's secret quarterback project, and it barely lasted a year. So um, 
Ryan Day, you know, Ryan Day's got to pick the right quarterbacks here. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of reason to believe in Jack Miller and CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord as, as a threesome of, of options. But, um, you know, we, we're waiting. We, we got, I mean, it's easy to pick Justin Fields. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't yeah. some recruiting masterpiece by Ryan Day. There was an opportunity here at a place where he could win. Um, but I'm, you know, Jack Miller would be a big one for Ryan Day, given all the things that texter correctly said. Uh, from the 330, Kate Stover, his high school is in the same conference as my high school. Also, my dad is a basketball official and gave out his first ever technical foul to him in middle school. I don't know if that was huh. his dad's first technical foul he assessed or Stover's first technical foul he received. But still, I would hope it um, would be the, the middle schooler's first technical foul. I would hope I so. Yeah, because – but how would he necessarily know that? So that's why I think it might be that's talking right. about his dad. Anyway, um, just a fun fact for you guys to file away for your, your eventual Cade Stover feature you have to write down the line. Um, um, I, I am pro I am pro middle school technical foul. So that it. makes me like Cade Stover even more. I just kind of wish he was still a defensive end. I just I just don't know I don't know what to think of him at tight end. And like it's yeah. certainly it's certainly not gonna happen this year. Not on a position switch where he's got three really experienced good tight ends ahead of him. So like down the line, if you want to drive the bus for Cade Stover, I still think the whole thing is kind of weird because I thought he was like a good, interesting athlete. And like Mm -hmm. they're shoving him into a position on this team that we did a whole podcast on two weeks ago that they never really used. So I don't know what to think. Well, and something we didn't really bring up on that. I think tight end is a really difficult position. Like you have a lot of blocking responsibilities. So you got running and blocking uh, running and passing blocking responsibility sometimes because you're not always going out on routes. And then you've got all the, the pass catching that goes along with that, which is a different kind of technique and a, a kind of a specialized technique. It's not, I would not expect Cade Stover to really be much of anything in 2020. Um, yeah. I, that, it's a long-term project to me. Not only is he blocked, but I just don't see any way, especially with no spring, how he's ready in the fall to be some kind of contributor. I I, I don't see it. And the, the one thing is like, for instance, like, you know, Luke Farrell is like, a really good college football tight end. Yep. Like he is a Big really rock. good blocker. He yeah. catches balls in the red zone. Like he is really good. I don't know that anybody would ever say they're like driving the bus for Luke Farrell. You know, maybe that's not fair. No one did. I mean, like, but, <laughs> but, but like, I, and I love Luke Farrell. I've written multiple things about Luke Farrell. Maybe I should have put him on my list. He's a Cleveland. He's guy. good at his job, but you know, he's really good at his. So like, what's the top to me? Like if Cade Stover ends up being as good as Luke Farrell, that is a tremendously successful yeah. career, but no one's still going to drive the bus for him. Is the no, top he's end like he gets six or seven catches for sixty yards and maybe scores a touchdown? If that's the top end for the receiver, I mean, I mean, for a tight end, I mean, that's not you're not really driving the bus for much. You're you know, you're getting off at the first exit after fifteen minutes. Um, we did get a couple votes for Jeremy Ruckert um, because again, he's one of those guys. I think people see they look at the ranking, they look at what he could be at the at the if he reaches his ceiling, but none for for Farrell because I think people see him as more of a ordinary player and I think that's unfortunate because I think he is just a, a really great all-around player who just does so many good things um two more that really st- stuck out at me before we break uh from the 937 Noah Potter I'm really hoping we get to see some more Noah Potter this year he's going to be behind some really good guys but man that kid is good plus he wears 97 which I'm not sure if that does that have that's some the, kind of that's the Bosa that's, that's the Bosa okay. number gotcha okay see Stupid non-Ohio State guy doesn't know that, but uh, now I do. And then uh, from the 303, C.J. Saunders. I'm not necessarily driving the bus for him in 2020, but I think he may play a 
in all caps, much more important role than anyone thinks. Without spring practice or maybe even a shortened, delayed summer camp, Fields is going to want to have targets that know the system at the beginning of the season. Remember, he was voted as a captain last year. He's respected and trusted at a great time of great uncertainty. I don't think he's going to, quote, blow up, but I think he might be really important early in the season, especially during the development of the new guys. Ryan from Denver, who's one of our uh, – uh, a guy who, who texts with us a lot. Uh, I I understand the sentiment he's going for here. And if I had not learned that Garrett Wilson was going to be the number one slot receiver for Ohio State yeah. in 2020, I might have agreed with some of this. But now knowing that, I don't. I, I think C.J. Saunders is going to have, if he's back, a really important behind-the-scenes leadership role and maybe do some special team stuff. And that's it. There are plenty of of other people on the Ohio State beat who would drive the bus for C.J. Saunders. I, I, I'm not I can't. I, I ran out of t- the story. Great story. He's a fantastic I mean, story. It seems I mean, to be a great yeah. kid. But I mean, I mean, and I'm not. I'm not. It's a solid. I'm, I'm not discrediting no, no. C.J. Saunders. Like any kid who walks on and then earns a scholarship is is unbelievable. At a place like this to do that, I mean, it is hard to describe how much you must fight through to be able to achieve something like that. And then so to be a captain is an added bonus to it. But. And there are two, but there are two separate things at play. And I don't like it when sports writers get them confused. And I'm not saying that we do, but I'm saying there's other people who do, and you end up lying to readers. There are the great stories, the, the underdogs, the hard workers who deserve every bit of credit in the world. And then there's a story of, are you going to help this football team win? And you can't pretend that being one means you're the other. So I'm not despair. A hundred percent pro CJ Saunders. He is not going to help Ohio state win a single football game this year, just like he hasn't to this point because they got too many dudes. There were a couple times when he was on the field in previous years. I get it, but it's, he's not Hunter Renfro as much as some people want him to be. And I will also say, I think the leadership thing is great. The character thing is great. But your best leaders have to play in order for that leadership to really matter, I feel. If those guys aren't on the field, that's when you have an issue. And that's why it's important that Tuff Borland is out there because of, I think, his leadership qualities. And it's going to be interesting to see where else that leadership comes from if if Cooper doesn't have a huge piece of the rotation and if C.J. Saunders is back but also is completely out of the rotation um, the, the captains at other places are going to have to step up and, and kind of uh, play a bigger role than they ever have before. Ryan Day's already talked about that. That's already a, you know, a thing that they're delving into in the off season. So uh, that thanks to everybody who participated. We got, I thought a great response from everybody for that segment. If you haven't subscribed to the text 614-350-3315, just text that you can get signed up for the 14 day free trial. We are actually really close we haven't been, we're not giving out the numbers of subscribers we have, but we're really close to like one of those double zero threshold numbers. It'd be really cool if we could climb over that. So if, if you have any buddies who haven't participated yet, try to get them to sign up for the 14 day free trial. It helps us. I think it helps us give you guys really good content, guys and girls who are listening out there and we appreciate it. So um, a quick break and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk basketball and we're going to talk uh, about all the great uh, other questions you guys asked us, including asking us to look into the future for what our lives, our dining lives might look like after the COVID-19 situation dissipates. We'll be back. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means. We're all remote, as you all are during this uh, 
this time in history, but we are still chugging ahead on Ohio State football coverage. Ohio State basketball as well. We are going to delve into some of your questions right now about uh, some football topics and some food topics and some miscellaneous topics. We are going to talk basketball at the end because obviously some things are going on with Chris Holtman's program with transfers going in, going out. People have some concerns. People have some questions. We're going to delve into those. Um, but I did want to talk about some other things that are going on football-wise. People have some some football questions. People have, uh, and, and like I said, the people who are asking about long-term things, we're going to delve into that. We're not going to delve into that today. Um, but one one thing that popped up, uh, kind of a recurring theme on the on the pod, this is from one of our local listeners in the 216. Doug, how is the movie bracket going? Mm. So... 15 of the 16 movies have been watched. My kids actually um, have some tests and stuff this week. They were on spring break for the, one of the weeks that they've been out of school, but now they're really ramping back up. So we've been having to ease back on the movie bracket a little bit. We did just watch On the Basis of Sex, which is a very confusing movie title. And I, But it's about <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And... Yeah. Uh, there are things, not to do a spoiler, but like back in the day, there was like a Robin Hood movie and like five, six of the way through the Robin Hood movie, I think like Sean Connery rode in on a horse and everybody was like, oh my God, it's Sean Connery. And there are some of those movies that have those take your breath away moments. And this movie had a take your breath away moment, at least for me. Um, and we thought it was Excellent. It is the highest scoring movie in the bracket so far. It was a two seed oh, wow. in its bracket. Um, it, I, I thought it was well done. I thought it was well acted. Um, the, the personal life story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's the second biopic. And I never know. Is it biopic or biopic? Biopic. I always thought it was biopic. Like it wasn't. Why would it, that sounds like, like a robotic term. You know, like a biopic. Biography picture is no, the, I know, but I, I thought like you put the two words together, but then you change the emphasis, the emphasis on the syllables. But so okay. it's the second, the the Freddie Mercury, you know, to watch Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury story was excellent as well. This is another story that's a movie that's about a person, excellent. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win because we're going to revote, and you have to think about the movies in comparison to each other. Slumdog Millionaire is the last movie out there. It will go up against on the basis of sex. And then we will start doing our revoting. We're not going to rewatch, but we are going to revote. But on the basis of sex, turns out to be a very strong two seed. I did not see on the basis of, of sex. I did see a year earlier there was a documentary. So not a biopic, just a bio, or a biopic, just a bio, just a bio of Ruth Bader Ginsburg called RBG that I thought was fantastic. So if you liked on the basis of sex, of on the basis of sex and want to revisit that topic, I would highly recommend RBG. I thought it was very well done. Okay, hold on a second. Can you, can you hear that? I'm yes. making I'm making the the robot say how to say it. Biopic. Yeah. So biopic. Biopic. Once, once again, Doug, the, the the robots are out to get you. Yeah. I'm, I, now I hit the learn to pronounce button, so I learned how to pronounce that. I get verklempt about watching stories of geniuses learn and f learn their learn they are a genius, fight their way through life, 
and both Freddie Mercury and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are geniuses in their own way. And I mean, basically anybody who winds up on the Supreme Court is kind of a genius, right? I mean, like, so, but to watch them go from being a regular person that Freddie Mercury is just some dude, and then he becomes this musical genius, and that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is just some person in law school, and she becomes this genius. I find it to be perhaps the most inspiring type of thing that I can watch or read about is the evolution of anybody from regular person to genius. We went and saw on vacation when we were in California a couple of years ago, we went to the new like Apple campus. And then we went to the house where Steve Wozniacki and Steve Jobs first were building Apple computers in that garage. That house is still there. Somebody lives in that house. It's like two miles away from a regular little house to this gigantic campus. And like, I was crying in the car and my children were like, dad, why are you crying? Which is one of the most popular phrases in our house. Dad, why are you crying? But was the, it was the idea that these were two guys in a garage and through their genius, they changed the world. And so anything like that, is like, oh, boy, that is my wheelhouse, baby, which is why I hope someday someone makes a movie about me. I'm just I'm just kidding. Well, that's very it's very likely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I actually love I love the Supreme Court as a topic. I wouldn't say I'm like fascinated by it. It's not like a big hobby of mine. It's not, I'm not like a history buff for the Supreme Court, but I do like reading about it. I read a Several years ago, I read uh, Bob Woodward's book about it, The Brethren, that was from like the, the 70s, I guess, that I thought was really uh, insightful and well done. And um, it's just one of those things I like to read about. So she's always – she, but really anybody on the Supreme Court um, has always really intrigued me as well. Um, from the 323, why don't other former players that have had a decent career in the NFL come back to college and coach like Brian Hartline has? I think the big pancake would be a great O-line coach. Um, I, I think the easy answer to that is they don't have to because you've made a lot of money in the case of these guys, even Brian Hartline, you do very well for yourself. And then the, the it's a grind to be a college coach. I mean, the recruiting, the, the hours you have to put in, um, it's, it's not an easy life. Um, it's, it's a well-rewarded life too. I think those guys get paid well too, as we talked about on this podcast, but there are other avenues you can go into that are probably similarly lucrative that don't have quite the same grind. I think that's part of it. I think, you know, the statement, those who can't do teach. I think there are some people who can do who shouldn't teach because you know, they might be very good at doing the action, but in explaining it to somebody else, they might suck at. It. And I think coaching isn't for everybody. Teaching isn't for everybody. And for Orlando Pace, that might be the case. He might have been very good at sack, at blocking, keeping people from stacking a quarterback. It doesn't mean he's going to be good at teaching other people at to keep people from sacking a quarterback. And like Brian Hartline's an interesting example because, like, I mean, Brian Hartline's not Jerry Rice, you know? No, like he's Brian, solid. He was like, I mean, he was a guy who at Ohio State he's memorable for like some great blocks. I mean, he had a thousand yard season in the NFL, which is bonkers. So yeah. I mean, like. He did make a lot of money and he had a very accomplished Ohio State career, but he was always kind of a grinder. And so, you know, Larry Bird went back and coached and Isaiah Thomas went back and coached. And we've seen some great players who have done it. But to Stephen's point, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning aren't going to go back and coach like Orlando Pace isn't going to go. But like Mike Vrabel 
turned out to be a really good coach. Now, Mike Vrabel had a really good NFL career, but he's not Tom Brady. And yeah. Brian Hartline isn't Orlando Pace. So, um, you know, there are some other guys like Marcus Freeman, you know, he's like a really good coach who was an Ohio State player. I know James Laurinaitis, who's doing announcing. I think he would be a good coach. I think he has some interest in it. You know, Bo Pelini played at Ohio State, and went on to be a very successful um, college football coach. So obviously we've seen examples of it, but um, I, I'm try- I don't even know, you know, I wouldn't even know off the top of my head. Pepper Johnson went on to be a coach. He was a really good Ohio State player. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, who is the best Ohio State player? And I'm, it's going to be something yeah. like stupid that I'm missing somebody obvious. But That's the interesting thing is how many guys were who were elite level elite when it came, comes to playing the sport were also, you know, cream of the cop, crop coaches? I just don't think it goes hand in hand a lot of the times. Yeah, and that Brian Hartline actually fits the model of he's the kind of guy you kind of would expect to be a coach. Yeah. He was a very good player, but he had to grind for it a little bit. Sometimes mm-hmm. if you just have natural talent, you know, Peyton Manning might end up like in the front office, but I don't know if that Peyton Manning wants to go around trying to teach somebody how to be a quarterback. No, it's like, like, like a John Elway situation where you're kind of running the franchise. Yeah, they want to be decision makers. They don't want to be down there trying to teach some practice squad guy his correct mm-hmm. footwork because it's like, dude, come on. You know, so. it didn't take me. It didn't take me this long to learn it. Why is it taking you this long? And yeah, that's not. It's not good coach. Yeah, I remember when I was covering Purdue a couple of years ago, and they needed a athletic director. One of the rumors going around was that uh, uh, people sh- they should go after Drew Brees and get him to like sign up to be the AD after his playing career is done. And I was like, Are you people insane? This guy makes like forty million dollars a year, yeah, and you think no. he wants to come back and go kiss um, donors' butts for money to? Yeah put to repave the tennis court or the the soccer field or whatever like that's just not that these guys have transcended into like a different area of life he's a i mean he's somebody who's generous and does things but he he's not gonna come back and grind that way for for a job and the other thing to remember is these guys who go off in the nfl and and succeed um some of them do end up coaching but they coach the nfl level too it's not always coming back to college so I'm trying to look through the list of Ohio State guys to see if I miss somebody obvious. But it's funny. Everybody talks so much about how many Ohio State guys go into media. And it's true. But media is easy compared to coaching. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you can run through the list of guys. If Chris Spielman wanted to be a coach, if Joey Galloway wanted to be a coach, I mean, there's a million Ohio State guys who are great media members. If they wanted to coach, could probably do it. But, man, coaching's hard. This, and this they're not, is easy. And even in the media, they're not media guys the way we're media guys. No, they show up on game. They show up and they talk about, hey, he made a good play. You made good plays like that, too. Tell us what it's like to make a good play. And even like I'm just I'm, again, I'm running through a list of like NFL, Ohio State NFL draft picks since 1980 to find like, oh, you're missing this guy. Like LaCharles Bentley, for instance, I think LaCharles Bentley is probably as good of an offensive line technician and instructor as maybe anybody out there. But he's not a coach. He runs his own offensive line academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, LaTarles Bentley, I'm sure, could go be an offensive line coach for an NFL team or a high-level college team. But he's sort of kind of choosing to be his own boss and do it his own way. And he's helped a bunch of guys become gr- better players through his offensive line academy. But I don't know that – I mean, LaTarles Bentley, does he want to go out and recruit? Does he want to go and, like, have guys yelling at him in practice? He kind of – he gets to do this his own way. And, again – when you're a super successful guy and you've been coached your whole life, maybe you don't want to be in that atmosphere as much. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, two questions that came from two different – so our, our home base in northeastern Ohio and our other home base here in Columbus, depending on how you want to look at it, had very similar questions. Um, one asked, what's the first restaurant you're going to after the end of quarantine? Um, and the other one, what's the first place you're going to when the quarantine is done? What is the thing you missed most? Steven, maybe a nice Giordano's pizza. Have you guys thought about that? Like once we're able to act, because we can do carry out now and I, we've been doing yeah. that. I think all of us, but what's the first place you want to go and like sit down and have a meal once we're allowed to do that? Steven, you got an answer? No, I don't. I haven't even thought about it. Go ahead. So I will say, I mean, I am such a fast casual kind of guy that, 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 like you can still get most of what I like. I did get we got Rooster's wings on Sunday, and I hadn't had wings in forever. And like I was in wing withdrawal. Like there, that I need some hot buffalo wing flavor. Draw. Wing draw, yeah, that's good. I need hot buffalo flavor in my life, and so I was so happy to get those. Um, you know, I don't. We don't do a lot of fancy like sit down kind of places. Um, like Cheesecake Factory, I think I would look forward to going back to because I don't really know that I want to get like Cheesecake Factory delivered or whatever. I would lose a little bit. Um, oh, Charlie's. We like Oh, Charlie's. You sit down. And like the steakhouses where they have peanuts on the floor, like I'm not going to throw peanuts on my own floor, right? I mean, that would be a crazy person thing to do. So to go to a steakhouse where I can get a $13.99 sirloin with two sides and there are peanuts on the floor, that I will enjoy when it's time. Steven, I don't think one. I don't have a restaurant. I do. I spend a, in the summer. I, it's warm out. At the times like this on a weekend, I spend a lot of time in the short north with my friends, just you know, going all through the different bars and different places down there. So it's more of that than like a one sit down restaurant that I'm gonna be looking forward to getting back to. Gotcha. We uh, so my fiance and I. One of the areas of town that we've liked to hang out in a little bit is Bexley, which I know sounds kind of bougie, but it's just like we like the the Drexel Theater there. Um, she has a peanut allergy, and there's like a no nut bakery there, uh, Sherborg Bakery that we like to go to, and we walk past all the time this place called Newfangled Kitchen, and it has in the in the window it has a big sign that says like greatest meatloaf sandwiches or something like that. Or like, we're known for our meatloaf sandwiches. And we're both like, man, we really want to try that. And we're like, we always, every time we go there, we're like, we're going to have to come back here and try that. We're going to have to come back here and try that. Well, now we can't, we literally can't go there. We walk by the other place and they're closed. Um, not even, they're not even doing carry on stuff right now. So when this ends, we're making a beeline down to newfangled kitchen in Bexley to get a meatloaf sandwich. And I'm really looking forward to it. I will also say I haven't had roosters yet and I've been here for six plus months now, whatever. And I, I feel a little bit bad that I haven't had roosters and I'm putting that at the top of our next carry out options. I think. Sorry about the peanuts on the floor thing. Uh, if your fiance has a peanut. Yeah. Allergy, she, but- yeah. So I can't go to Texas roadhouse. I can't go to uh, five guys with her. She's, she's too squeamish about it. If so. you want to go somewhere and have peanuts on the floor sometime, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. Sounds good. If you want to go. Okay. I love Texas Roadhouse, by the way. Those those uh, rolls with that, that that butter that they have, man. Hot rolls and butter. Like if you if we didn't want to do a sixty four bracket of like just the best food to eat, I would Before make Before you hot, eat your food. Hot rolls and butter is like a one seed to me. No, that's what you need. The food you eat before they bring out your food. That's what the, that's what the bracket has to be. So you would include like oh Charlie's rolls. Red lobsters, biscuits. Oh, cheddar, Ooh. Olive Garden breadsticks. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the bracket. What's the best food that you eat before they bring out your food? 
But I think the Texas Roadhouse rolls by themselves are good, but it's the that whatever that butter is, that like cinnamon butter or apple, whatever yeah. it is, it's yeah. tremendous. It it elevates it. Um, so similar to what we we're just talking about. Um, two questions from the four four zero. How about a snack food playoff similar to the football player rankings? And from the three three zero, what do you guys think is the best candy bar? I think it's Twix in a route. But I had a friend yesterday telling me Butterfinger is underrated. This sparked a massive discussion in my group chat, which I think speaks to how much time and attention people have now to be kind of spread around to things. Uh, do you guys have a candy bar that stands out above all others? I love peanut butter. So it's got to be like I'd love actually like peanut butter Twix and I love whatchamacallit. Um, which is, you know, Butterfingers in that range. So to me, peanut butter cups, like that's where I go to. But the peanut butter Twix um, really gets me sometimes. And I will find this at times. This bothers me. Sometimes when you go to get a candy bar, they will not have the normal size candy bar anymore. They'll only have the king size of the mm -hmm. thing you want. So I don't want four bars of Twix. I just want the two bars of Twix, but I have to get the four bars. And then I think, well, I'll just eat two, and then I'll save two for tomorrow. And Lying then I eat, I eat all Lying four yourself. in six yeah. minutes. But it's not me. It's it's the candy conglomeration that is ruining America. Bring back the regular-sized candy bars, but anything with a peanut butter. Now I'm envisioning a whole 16-team region of peanut butter stuff. Then you could have like a, a caramel region and like a chocolate region and like a non-chocolate region, and we probably have to do this. Steven, yours is going to not have chocolate in it. It's going to be some kind of beanie baby sour patch kid thing, right? Yeah. I'm not a candy bar guy. I love sour patch kids, though. Beanie baby? Wait, what? <laughs> what do you I don't know why, yeah, I don't know why I added the beanie baby part in it, but I'm not a candy bar guy. I'm... Sour Patch Kids are my go-to. If you see me snacking on candy, it's probably Sour Patch Kids. So this is a thing that I constantly wonder about, and Nathan, you can be the arbiter of this. I'm always trying to tell the difference between what is a thing that is generational in that that generation of people will always have that behavior or that preference versus what is a thing that is age-centric, that it's not that this generation of people do it, it's that all 20 year olds do that or all 50 year olds do that. Like, do you understand the difference? Of every generation. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yes. like how everybody makes the joke now of like you go to the gym and there's naked old guys at the gym. I think that yeah. is a generational thing that it's people who were born in the fifties, forties or fifties do that. I'm not going to be naked at the gym when I'm 80. Thank you. So, Thank I you. actually, yeah. well, yeah, I think, I don't, but I don't think that's, yeah, I think every yeah. generation is going to have the weird subset of guys who walk around naked at the gym. But I just, no, it, it, it has, it's not as many, I don't think. I think your, your guys' generation will maybe have half as many as the generation before. And then when I'm 80, it'll probably be like one guy in there who's, come on, man, put your towel on. Will it be so, you? So, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. So that is my question with the non-chocolate candy preferences, because my kids are the same way, and my kids are in Nathan's or in Stephen's generation. Is not is preferring a sour, sugary thing over a chocolate bar. Is that something that it's what 
you know, teens and 20-somethings do, and that by the time Stephen is 40, he'll want a chocolate bar, and that my kids will want a chocolate bar someday? Or is it this generation of people, Generation Z, will always prefer Sour Patch Kids to a Snickers? Which one is it, Nathan? Personally. Go ahead, Nathan, and then I'll ask my question. Oh, I think, I think it's this generation. That, so, that Stephen will be eating Sour Patch Kids when he's 60. Yes. I think I it's like one that. of those just trendy things right now. I don't, first of all, am I Z or am I a millennial? That's the question. I don't so think you're a millennial because people, all the dumb spring break people who were out spring breaking during coronavirus and everybody was like, look at these stupid millennials. And then all the millennials were like, no, 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 no. I'm, that's not millennials. That's Generation Z. So let let me check on what yeah. you, you can answer about. Because I think, I'm a, I think I'm a millennial, but I do think, I don't know anybody around my age who eats chocolate bars on a constant loop like that we you know snack it like we sour patch kids gummy bears things where you can just eat a couple of them at a time more than a chocolate bar just because chocolate's not that good okay so you th- you know a lot of people your age who don't want a chocolate bar correct i don't yeah it's not necessarily their first choice Okay. Interesting. I, uh, my pick would be, uh, these aren't candy bars. I think they fall within the spirit of what he's asking. I, I tend to, uh, I tend to buy these to sneak them in the movies and then eat them at home <laughs> regardless. But, uh, raisinets, especially the dark chocolate raisinets and milk duds. But since those aren't bars, I'm going to pick bars. My favorite bar is, um, at Walmart, their brand of, chocolate and sea salt caramel bar i think is it market pantry is that the walmart brand anyway it's tremendous that's my favorite candy bar i think i try to say whenever i'm at whenever i'm at walmart i usually which isn't very often anymore i actually i'm not even sure where the one in close to the one in columbus is to me but if i were to go to walmart i'd probably grab a couple of those and keep them in the pantry for when i need them so for the sake of answering the what generation i might question I am a, I'm a millennial. Generation Z is anybody born after 1997. Millennial is 1981 to 96. And then Generation X is ni- 1965 to 1980. The boomers are 46 to 64. And then silent is 28 to 45. What year were you born? 94. Okay. So you're the back end of the millennials. I almost, I almost okay boomered you, Nathan, on Raising <laughs> Nathan's like, oh, back when I went to the movie picture show, I used to enjoy raisinets. There are there are boxes of dark chocolate raisinets in my pantry right now. I will, and also a highly highly recommended for you who likes the peanut butter stuff. Do you like dark chocolate? No, I'm a milk okay. chocolate guy. Okay, I used to, I, I only recently got into dark chocolate big, and the Reese's makes a the great the, the little cups are individually wrapped. The dark chocolate Reese's are spectacular. I highly recommend those. I will eat uh, Hershey's peanut butter eggs by the handful. That's like the greatest time of the year is when the peanut butter eggs come out. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, from the 330, this is stolen from uh, Doug, your, your best friend, Bill Simmons. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've done because you're bored from quarantine? Punch Bill Simmons in the neck. Um, <laughs> you haven't actually done that yet. No, but I might drive to Los Angeles and do it. Um, <laughs> 
How are they going to play a How could you do that while maintaining social distancing? You'd have to have like an inspector gadget. I'd, I'd risk yeah. it. Yeah. I'd drive right up to his mansion. If the Red Sox don't play at least 50 games, it's not worth having a season. Um, I, I mean, I haven't done anything weird other than like my toilet flooding into my kitchen. I, I swear to God, I don't mean it. It's like I, this is my life. I sit around and I write sports stories and do podcasts and watch movies. So like, I, I, I mean, really, it, the weirdest thing to me, because I, I, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday. I haven't interacted with another person outside my wife and two daughters in 28, in 28 days now, because I started a little early, so I'm at a full four weeks of social distancing, um, and I don't care. <laughs> like, I could, I, at the moment, could do this forever. So the weirdest thing about me is that I haven't done anything weird, because as it turns out, I was living a quarantined life previously. I haven't done anything weird, I, but I do take unnecessary laps around the, the our apartment complex. Just be, not the, no, just our little unit. Just because it it's so boring. And like, both of us are up at unnecessary times because no one's tired because you didn't really expand a lot of energy when you're just sitting in your home. Yeah, I haven't really done anything that weird yet either, I don't think. And I, it, it did strike me that how similar my life before quarantine was to my life after quarantine on some days of the week. I mean, there's days where we'd have to go to the Woody or go other places and do interviews or do our things together or cover a game. And those you have to leave the house for. But there were other days, even during the season, where it's like you wake up, you go sit on the couch, and the next thing you know, it's like 4 o'clock, and you've just been working yeah. all day. And then it's like rainy and cruddy outside, so you don't go outside. So then you just never leave the house that day. And maybe you didn't uh, change clothes or whatever. And you just had a day that just kind of happened without you noticing. And uh, now I, I will say I, that kind of depressed me a little bit when I thought about that. I'll probably change that in the future. But now that, again, now that the weather's awesome, um, it's not, it's not weird, but like, I feel like I embraced now that I'm forced to be inside so much, I'm taking full advantage of going outside every day and going for these walks of like a couple miles at least and getting, again, seeing the area, but also just getting that exercise that I wasn't getting before. Um, this is from Joe Mustachio or Josh Mustachio. I'm sorry. And, um, and our friends Legion and legend and, uh, from the 614, Tacos versus burritos, which is better? He feels burritos are better because you can put more into them than a taco. I agree. Burritos are good dinner food. Tacos are snack food, in my opinion. I also want to say we also got a question that is a corollary to this, so we can answer at the same time from the 937. Hard, hard shell tacos or soft shell tacos? Well, like a soft shell taco is like a mini a burrito, burrito, right? Yeah. yeah. I have, a hard, I have a hard time with soft shell tacos because I feel like if I'm going to go with a soft shell, then I'll just go with a burrito. So I almost never order soft shell taco. I, my distinction is if you're going just regular, I'll take a regular burrito, like normal, go to Chipotle, just get your, you know, your salsa and your meat and your veggies and lettuce or whatever in a burrito. I'll take a burrito over a taco. But there are these taco places now, like Condado Taco, which I know is a lot of places in Ohio. It's my daughter's favorite restaurant. We love it. Actually, that's where we're going to go first when we can go back to a restaurant, actually, is Condado Taco, because you get the little sheet. And we've talked about this before, how I give a fake name. But I like it because you get, you get three different tacos, and you get such three different things. You get different meats. You get different cheeses. You put different salsas, different hot sauces. And so that – 
the expansion of the taco options at restaurants like that, that is my number one thing. But if it's just a normal thing, then I'll take the burrito. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hard shell guy, and I tend to lean burrito if I'm out somewhere because, I, again, like they're saying, I think you can get more ingredients in there. Um, if I'm making tacos at home, it's hard shell. If I'm going to Condado, it's hard shell. If I'm going to a nicer Mexican place and I get tacos, I, I don't mind getting, like, corn tortillas. Um, and I don't know. I, I, maybe I actually have gravitated a little bit towards talk towards tacos over burritos lately because if i get tacos i can get a lot of times three different kinds of meat so i can get like carne asada and chicken and um al pastor and get three different kinds of tacos rather than having to settle for one meat one protein in my burrito so i've probably actually started trending more toward tacos that said, um, I will I will smash a Chipotle burrito any day of the week. Sure. Oh yeah. To, uh, or or Moe's, any of those places. Yeah. Moe's. I'll I'll take Moe's over Chipotle, but yeah, I'll take the burrito any day. Uh, from the same from the same family, the mustachios, we have a family tie that they need us to help break: chocolate milk versus strawberry milk. Legion and I are team strawberry. Legion and Lexi, or Legend and Lexi are team chocolate. The mom doesn't care for milk, so we have to decide. We are the tie-breaking vote. Chocolate milk or strawberry milk? <laughs> I don't really drink milk outside of cereal, so. Um, well, would you would you get a strawberry-flavored cereal and drink the milk, or would you get a chocolate-flavored cereal and drink the milk? Probably strawberry. Because chocolate just like seems a like such yeah, because chocolate just seems like such a strong flavor to have as your milk and some cereal. Nathan, which which are you? Um, I don't think I've ever had strawberry milk. I had a friend who um, told me a story in like elementary school about how he drank like a strawberry quick that morning and then went to school and got sick. And when he threw up, it all came out in one chunk, like shaped like the glass. Of, of strawberry milk that he drank. So ever oh, since wow. hearing that story, I have been off chocolate milk or strawberry milk and I actually really like chocolate milk. So I'm, I'm chocolate milk. So who is team strawberry in the mustachio household? That was Legion and Josh. Okay. So I don't blame Legion because parents have influences on their children. I, I'm not sure we can accept texts from Josh anymore. If Josh, <laughs> If you are actually captaining Team Strawberry, I would like to give a shout out to Legend and Lexi for staying strong on Team Chocolate because the rationale that leads anyone to strawberry milk over chocolate milk is not one that I am ever going to be able to wrap my head around. So, Josh, we love you. I'm kidding. We, of course, will take your questions. You are one of our most active texters, but I am begging you to listen to Legend and Lexi and come back to Team Chocolate. For those of you feeling a little adventurous in your concoctions during quarantine, try a little chocolate milk mixed with a little root beer. It's like a chocolate root beer. Speaking of Laverne and Shirley, that's like a Laverne and Shirley drink. Probably, yeah. Laverne used to drink milk and Pepsi all the time, so now Nathan's drinking chocolate milk and root beer. I don't drink it that often. I have had it, and it's very good, but I I don't often, like, buy chocolate milk for the house because I'm – an adult.
but uh, <laughs> I just I just don't usually have chocolate milk around. But um, all right, let's get into some basketball talk because um, obviously there's been some goings and comings in this program here in the last couple of weeks. Stephen, maybe just kind of give us a rundown of who's on their way out and who's on their way in before we kind of get into the ramifications of all that. Yeah, so DJ Carden is gone. Luther Muhammad is the latest guy to leave in that backcourt. And then Alonzo Gaffney and Caleb Weston have – well, Caleb Alonzo Gaffney is gone for sure, and Caleb Weston is testing the NBA Warriors for the second straight spring. And then Jimmy Soto is the latest addition. He'll be the, the redshirt transfer this year, and he'll be eligible to play in the 21-22 season. So as of guys right now who will be playing basketball next when the season starts next fall, your point guard is C.J. Walker. You're – Combo guard, two guard, whatever you want to call it. Dwayne Washington Jr. and Eugene Brown III, incoming freshman. And then your forward, Justin Ahrens, Musa Jallo, Justin Suing, Seth Towns, EJ Liddell. And then your bigs are Ibrahima Diallo, Zed Key, and Kyle Young. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so <laughs> a, a busy couple of weeks here since the end of the season. And yeah. – Doug, you have an interesting perspective on this because you obviously were covering this program um, a while back through different coaching administrations and, and so on. A lot of questions from readers basically asking, what's going on? How, alarm, how alarming is this? How worried should we be? Does the basketball program need to make a change? So what, just your thoughts on on whether this is just part of the – college basketball transfer culture and how much of this may signal a bigger problem for Chris Holtman. So to me, excusing it as part of the college basketball transfer culture is just that an excuse. This is not that I did some research. There's a story uh, that went up on cleveland.com on Tuesday evening. Um, Carton and Gaffney were both top 50 players in the, in the Mm -hmm. freshman class. I looked at all the top 50 recruits in that class who have transferred so far. Do you know how many out of the 50 have transferred? Three. And two of them are Ohio State guys and a guy from Kentucky. Um, I looked at the class, uh, the previous class, the Luther Muhammad, Jadon Lede class, because those are both, Lede was the number 103 player in the country. He transferred Mm -hmm. after a year here. Um, More than half the guys so I did the top 103 players in that class to get Lede in there. Ohio State had two guys in that class who were that ranked that high, Muhammad and Lede. They're both gone. Only 20 of those 103 guys transferred. 55 are still at their schools. And the other guys left for the NBA. So, yes, people transfer a lot. Nobody loses this many elite recruits. Ohio State is leaking elite recruits more than any program in the country. Now, What matters is whether you win. However you build your roster, the proof is in the pudding. So Chris Holtman has been here three years. He had three NCAA tournament teams because obviously they were getting in this year. But when you look to the future, the thing that I have decided is I don't ever want to hear about recruiting from Chris Holtman because I don't care because you're not building your team with recruiting. C.J. Walker, Justice Suing, and Seth Towns are going to be three of Ohio State's seven best players next year. They're all transfers. And Zed Key and Eugene Brown are coming in. Great. I'm assuming one of them is going to transfer after a year. Why would I assume otherwise? 
So this is not normal. This is not acceptable. This is not how you build a program and build a roster in college basketball, whatever era it is. It is lovely that Ohio State is a destination for guys who are leaving other places. But don't tell me you're getting Bucknell's point guard who has to sit out a year to play a year and act like that's fine. That is not a plan. And as much as I wrote about a couple weeks ago, Ohio State using the transfer portal in football to specifically target areas of need, Chris Holtman at the moment is building his team in the transfer portal. And that is not how anybody is going to build a Final Four team in this era. So no, this is not normal. I think Chris Holtman is struggling to figure out how he's going to recruit at Ohio State. He was not in the business of getting top 100 guys at Butler. He's gotten five top 100 guys at Ohio State, and four of them have transferred. EJ Liddell's the only guy that has it. So he has not yet figured out a way to get elite talent, connect with it, and keep it. So he's either got to A, figure it out, keep going for top 100 guys, and change what they've been doing, because while all four transfers are their unique individual stories, when you add up four of them, it's an issue, no matter what the individual stories are. He's either got to get that figured out or change his strategy, and he's going to end up recruiting at Ohio State like he recruited at Butler and get a bunch of guys in the 200s and 300s and hope that you can build them into four-year players who stick around. At the moment, this is not working. And yes, it's great to add Seth Towns and this Bucknell kid and Justice Suing, who was scoring 14 and 16 points a game at Cal. I get it. The proof will be on the court this year. But at the moment, I'm not super optimistic about the future of Ohio State basketball because at the moment, Chris Holtman doesn't know how to recruit great players and keep them. Which will be a problem in 2021 when it's clearly looking like their recruiting class is going to be based off Ohio guys. It's, it's, if you start losing those guys, then it, it becomes a glare. It's already starting to rear its head. It becomes a glaring issue. If you get a class full of Ohio's best players who are also some of the country's top players, and nine months later, you know, Michi Johnson is in the transfer reporter or what, or Kalen Edsler's in the transfer reporter, then you have, then it becomes a glaring issue. Yeah, it's already a glaring issue. It's a glaring issue right now. I don't care where they're from. Four out of the five guys who were ranked highest under Chris Holtman aren't here anymore. Yeah, and, and to me, the interesting thing is, and this is it's all just maybe a semantic argument, but it, I don't know. I'm going to get drilled for this. You don't necessarily have to have in basketball top 50 guys. Oh, my God. You don't. You don't. Yeah, tell it to Duke and Kansas and Kentucky. Yeah, okay, yeah, but I'll, yeah, I'll also yeah. tell it to Wisconsin. I'll tell it to other programs who have – I'm just saying, it's not – to me, it's not so much that whether or not he's getting top 50 guys, the problem is what you're saying, that he can't keep them. I, it seems to me that Chris Holman maybe right now doesn't know – does he not know what his program is supposed to be, and is he not recruiting to that identity? Does here's that make the, sense? Do you see what I'm asking? Here's the thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And he's got to figure it out. But I will tell you, I do not think Gene Smith hired him to make Ohio State Butler East. Or or, or, or no. even another Wisconsin. No, I think you're right. I think that this is a place that has resources and has um, special abilities potentially. And the, the, that's what they're supposed to be aspirational to, is so recruiting he, that level of guy. You're right. He, because Thad Mata got fired a lot based on recruiting because his entire 2015 recruiting class left five for five on transfers. Mm -hmm. And they missed on Darius Baisley who decommitted from Ohio state and then wound up not going to college at all. But that was held against Thad Mata in the moment, 2017. So Gene Smith said, a 
Chris Holtman has strong Midwestern recruiting ties, and that recruiting ability was a big deal to Gene Smith. And B, Gene Smith expects Ohio State to compete for national championships in college basketball. And Wisconsin in basketball has been successful, but Wisconsin in basketball is a lot like Wisconsin in football. And that means Mm -hmm. their level of success is every now and then competing with the big boys and falling short. Their peak is the Frank Kaminsky teams that made the final Mm -hmm. four. There is not an expectation at Wisconsin basketball to win national championships. So I get it. Yes. Wisconsin and Butler can win the way they do it. That is not the expectation level at Ohio state. And if you suddenly allow that to become the expectation level, maybe you have the wrong guy here. Now I'm not calling, I'm not doing anything close to calling for Chris Holtman to lose his job. Nowhere close to that. Not after three NCAA tournament uh, appearances, not after the way they had lulls, but rallied the last two years. He has done a really good job in a lot of ways. What I am saying is, what has happened with the recruiting is and losing these guys is not acceptable to me on any level and do not use transfer culture as an excuse. Stephen, do you have any insight into – because here's what's tricky about these situations. All four of the guys that you're talking about leaving, the, the top – you know, four of the five top 100 guys or whatever it was um, – there's a different story for each of those guys, probably. I think the reasons Luther Muhammad is are, is leaving have nothing to do with why DJ Carton left. No, so, they don't. So, but by, so what I mean, go ahead, go ahead. But, but just like, so we don't need to rehash each one of those decisions. I'm just saying, no. do you see any kind of a common thread here, a common denominator in the disconnect that's happening with between the coach and his roster, or between the coach and his own? culture that he's trying to establish that is is kind of leading to these relationships falling apart. Luther Muhammad from an out, from just a quick glance is the first one that doesn't make sense. These are obvious that that was going that this was going to be the end result. With Alonzo Gaffney, obvious that this was going to be the end result. And with Jadon Ledi, obvious. They those two weren't playing. Luther Muhammad's been a starter his entire time here and he was probably going to have the with him it seems more of a a basketball, his role wasn't going to grow. He was going to continue to be a defensive stopper whose offense was, you know, give or take every single night. Then you bring in a guy in, in a recruiting class behind him who can bring what he brings defensively, but also has an offensive element to that. I think Luther just saw some writing on the wall that at best, it's I'm in the role I am last year, or at some point in the season, I'm going to start losing minutes to this freshman. Which is, but that's all a cop out. I hate. That's the thing with college coaching. You are responsible for everything. The general manager doesn't make your roster. So the idea that Alonzo Gaffney's transfer makes sense, he's the number 50 overall recruit in the country. You get him here, he never plays and he leaves. That's on Chris Holtman. If you didn't think Alonzo Gaffney was going to make it here or contribute here, you should have recruited somebody else. Then go recruit number 180 in the country who's going to become a stretch four that you can develop and who can stay here and play. There To let somebody off the hook, it made sense. It's crap. It's not an excuse. Get guys. He didn't have guys leave at Butler because he recruited guys that fit the program and he figured it out. I, the only excuse is that he is still kind of new. So he's still figuring it out. But I, there is zero part of that that, well, it made sense. 
it made sense to lose the number 50 player in the country after a year? There's no part of that that makes sense. You made a misjudgment in bringing the guy in if him leaving makes sense. Then the error was on the front end, and you are responsible for that error because that that spot could have gone to some other guy that could have been developing this year instead of sitting on the bench and leaving. Yeah, and so then you're not taking Bucknell's point guard. You're taking someone that you wanted up front and have developed for the last two years. And I know people love it when you get older transfers. Can I tell you, if you're building your program off Harvard and Bucknell kids in the Big Ten, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, those guys have those guys can have a role. Those guys can be like what we talked about with football, where you kind of plug and play, where um, you, you need a, a, an additional piece of front court depth. You need an additional point guard because you only have one, and he's really young. You need somebody to back him up. You know, when I covered Purdue, they went and got Spike Albrecht, stuff like that. But Spike Albrecht never played, and he got hurt too, but he just he wasn't a, a crucial part. I mean, they brought in grad transfers every year, and none of them ever really did anything, including this past season. So it's it's uh, – you're right. It's got to be, you have to, to build more organically than that. And I, I, I'm not one of those guys that um, says you, you shouldn't go after the one and done guys. And, um, but if the guys who, who you really have to put resources in those top 50 guys, those ones that you really have to, to battle to get them to come. I mean, when they don't hit it, 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 it I think those holes do show up elsewhere in your program. And I, I made a lot of excuses for DJ Carton leaving because I didn't think that was fair. That was a complicated situation. That one alone I don't think is fair to put on Chris Holtman. And I told fans and when I wrote a column about it, I said, don't get caught up in regret about this. Just pretend he went to the NBA. But that was one. Yeah, Alonzo got this me is, this This is 100%. four. This is four guys. And so, and that was why it was on Thad. Thad, that 2015 class that left, they were national guys from all over the place, and they were all ranked really high. But they didn't connect with them. And and the mistake, it wasn't that they were shocked that they left, but it was clear that with that whole class, they made mistakes on the front end in the identification of a guy who was going to fit this program and thrive here. And so sometimes... Sometimes the transfer makes sense, but then your then your mistake was recruiting the kid to begin with. And when you've only got three or four or five kids at the most to sign in a class, your your margin for error on like, boy, we read that kid wrong, we read that situation wrong. I don't think you get a lot of room for error there because what else are you doing? If you can't figure out that a kid's not going to fit here when you're only recruiting three kids in a class, man, you don't know your own program. So Ohio State basketball, 21 and 10, finished fifth in the Big Ten this past season. The year before, 20 and 15, finished eighth. The year before that, 25 and 9, finished second. That was the year with um, – I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden. Um, but Kidd Bates Diop having his kind of – yeah, finally arriving and kind of blowing up um, in, in uh, Holtman's first season. So, so it's not like they've fallen off the earth these last two years. But they're definitely not trending in the right direction. I guess that's the other question here is what is the standard that Ohio State basketball should be held to that they're not achieving right now? I mean, the standard the standard is competing, competing at the top of the Big Ten every year. We've established that. And if you don't disagree with if you disagree with the idea that Ohio State should be one of the four best basketball programs in the Big Ten and be in contention to win the Big Ten at least half the time. If you disagree with that, go tell it to Gene Smith because he agrees with me. 
I right now they're and, <laughs> yeah, and right and right now they're not they're not one of the they weren't one of the top four teams in the Big Ten. They're a middle of a Big Ten team who just lost their future point guard and three other top one hundred guys within twelve within twenty four months. And I think Chris Holtman is a good coach, but one of my points is everything he's done so far, he's done on the back of guys that he didn't bring here. Mm-hmm. In year one, he did it on the back of Kata Bates Diop and Jay Sean Tate. And the last two years he's done it on the backs of the Wesson brothers. And yes, Caleb Weston was technically part of that class, but Caleb Weston was committed to Fad Modern for two years. So who are the difference makers? As you look now to the future, who are the difference makers that Chris Holtman's brought here? Dwayne Washington Jr. at this point in, the, in that class, and then E.J. Liddell. More more E.J. Liddell more than anything else. He developed himself into a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate and one of the best players in the country. Well, there's where Holtman started to establish himself. But right now, those, he, he and Dwayne Washington Jr. are his best options at doing that. And I don't know how, how much higher Dwayne Washington Jr.'s ceiling is. And I just want to repeat, there is a way that you can talk about this where you say, this is not acceptable. There's no excuse for this. But also, the guy is doing a pretty good job in other areas and deserves to stick around for a while. So it's hard sometimes for fans to have that distinction of, yes, you can criticize somebody without thinking they should be fired. There is zero part of me that thinks Chris Holtman should be fired. There's a lot of part of me that thinks he's not doing a very good job building rosters right now. They're not cratering. They're not falling out of being in the NCAA tournament, that sort of thing. But you can see if they where do, that drop-off happens if why. some things aren't corrected. Like, Stephen, right now, are they a top-four team in the Big Ten next year? They can still be a top-four team just because of some of the time. I don't think, I don't think losing Luther Muhammad takes them out of that discussion, no, for next year. Because from a from a strictly on-the-court standpoint, no. Because thank God the kid from the Columbus suburbs who went to the Ivy League for three years decided to come home. Decided to come home, yeah. Yeah, and as we talked about before, I don't know that I'm jumping in 100% on an Ivy League guy, no matter how good he was, coming in and being all Big Ten and being um, a difference maker to that level. That'll have to be, I think, proven. Yeah, but the only issue with – Seth is that he hasn't played in two years. He could have come to Ohio State out of high school. He just decided to take the route of the Brainiac, which is what he is. And I think that's a pretty big issue. But uh, we will see, and that will do it for Buckeye Talk this week. Uh, hold on for once. I have uh, a rant um, that is a little bit about the state of journalism. Should I save it for a daily pod on Thursday or Friday? I don't want to save it too um, long because it's bubbling in my body. But why don't you Thursday, Go ahead and hit it. We're okay. going to take up so, – so Thursday's pod um, Thursday's pod is going to be um, people jumping up and down on Steven for the team that he drafted against me Y'all in the spring players, game. Man. And Friday – I believe in my team. I'm not 100% sure about Friday. Um, but but So we're going to be getting to some more football things, So um, just for people who are planning ahead for their week. But, yeah, Doug, go ahead. I think I know where you're going to go with this. People who are watching you on Twitter this week may have seen some of this interaction already. So if you just care about football, you can stop now. We're not going to sneak any football talk in. It's just Doug ranting about something that is important to me. Um, so it's, it's, it's the second most popular topic, actually, after football. It's just yeah, listening well, to you explode. Scream about the world. So it's, it's two things that are related. And the first thing is what Nathan mentioned is I got – it was kind of a one-way Twitter fight. I was kind of waiting for him to come back at me, and he didn't. But uh, Armin Katayan – who is like a sports guy who does has done like af- videos for the athletic and used to be on 60 minutes um, 
jumped in this guy who covers sports media for the new one of the New York papers and was talking about that they might be doing a horse competition with NBA players. And this guy was talking about the players he heard might be part of it. And Arben Katayan jumped in and was like, how does any, nobody cares about this right now. You know, it's, it's, they should play instead of horse play, who cares and spelled it out. And he just jumped in someone's mentions and quote tweeted him uh, with the point that like, nobody should care about sports right now. Um, which is the most pompous blowhard thing that I'd seen on Twitter in a while from a guy who was a pompous blowhard. And I actually was going to say, I I was going to tweet and I spent about three minutes looking up the term dillweed and whether dillweed is one word or two words. And I was going to say, I'm organizing a competition uh, to have players spell out Armin Katayan is a pompous dillweed. And then I decided not to tweet that. Um, but it made me very angry that somebody that pompous um, who thinks that sports is all about 60 minute pieces and 5,000 word stories and doesn't understand the, the regular person who enjoys sports as a distraction, who understands sports because it's fun and weird and goofy and it doesn't mean all that much, but it's fun. And that you would dare to act like that's not allowed in a time like this just makes my blood boil. And there are enough people out in the world who think that everything about sports is about, you know, testing the human condition and what it tells us about the world. And sometimes sports is about, did a guy make a shot or miss a shot or make a tackle or break a tackle or get a hit or drop a fly ball? And that's okay. So don't come out in the world and be a pompous jerk and make anybody out there feel bad for caring about sports right now. So I hate it all the time. I think what we do at Cleveland.com is we try to have fun and we try to involve you guys. And that's what we are trying to do here. And it's way down the list of what matters, but I think it does have some value. So basically, Armit Kintayan can cram it up his cram hole. And I hope someday I get to meet him in person so I can tell it to his pompous dillweed face that you are not a true sports fan if you think that's what sports really is. The second part of that is... The Cleveland Plain Dealer had some very difficult layoffs this weekend. It's very confusing to the average person, but Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Plain Dealer are obviously partners, but we're not exactly the same thing. Um, And it's been a very difficult road in a lot of ways for the last seven years. Um, We at Cleveland.com, Nathan and Steven and I, and basically everybody who writes about sports are technically employed by Cleveland.com and not the Plain Dealer. But our hearts go out to the people at the Plain Dealer um, who have lost their jobs during this time. Martin Fong was a guy, uh, not Martin Fong, Marv, <clears throat> excuse me, Marvin Fong shot Ohio State photos, Ohio State football games for like 20 years um, and was excellent at it. And as a guy that I loved working with and, and um, I will miss him a lot. Um, but at a time like this, I want to say how proud I am to work at a place like Cleveland.com and explain why what we do has a role and why what you guys do for us has a role. Because we are not an all-sports site. We are not a place like The Athletic. And The Athletic, when it got started, said they wanted to ruin newspaper sports departments. And the thing when you work at a place like Cleveland.com, and anymore, we're not a newspaper. We're a digital operation, okay? So when you hear people decrying the loss of newspapers, um, it doesn't matter where it's printed or not printed. It's about people gathering information and informing the public. And if you think that's going to continue to be in newspapers for the next 10 years, you're crazy. It's going to be online. It's clearly moved that way. And at Cleveland.com, we've moved that way in a very smart way. We've done that 
with a lot of really good sports writers who in an average week, when the world is not collapsing around us, eight of the 10 most popular stories in any day of the week on cleveland.com is a sports story. And when you work for a place like cleveland.com and you are a sports writer there, what we are doing is propping up what actually matters. And what you guys are doing when you subscribe to our tech service or you listen to this podcast and we have some ads on it, what you are helping us do is pay for the news that matters so much in a time like this. And if you work at an all sports place, you're just pocketing the money. People love sports on the internet. We get that. But over time, Cleveland.com has been criticized because we've had to lay people off. And at the same time, people criticize Cleveland.com because we've lost sports writers to the athletic because they could pay more than us. And you know why that was? Because they don't have news. News is not a winning proposition financially in a lot of places, unless you're the New York Times. But Cleveland.com, our news writers are doing a tremendous job right now. And what we on the sports side can do is try to write interesting stories that you guys want to read so that we can help keep our news side going. It's a tough business. I hate it when anybody loses a job. But we have gotten a lot of flack at Cleveland.com because we are forward thinking, because we are trying our best in this very difficult journalism world. And you guys, when you help us at Buckeye Talk, and when you help us as friends of the pod and tech subscribers, I just want you guys to understand what you're doing. You are helping us cover coronavirus. We're getting those stories read like crazy right now because it's what's important. But most of the time, people read sports a lot more than they read news. And when you read sports from us, you help pay for the real journalism that really matters in your life. So I get very tired of pompous jerks. I get very tired of, of Cleveland.com getting shots from both sides. We're doing the best we can. But what I want to make sure people understand is when you do this for Buckeye Talk, it's not about putting money in my pocket and Nathan's pocket and Steven's pocket. It's allowing us as a company to do what really matters. And I think our news writers and editors at Cleveland.com have done a tremendous job during all of this. And you guys, by supporting us, are supporting them. And I think that is a really valuable thing. We are grateful to everybody listening here. But it chaps my hide sometimes. So what sports is right now, it's a distraction. But also within that distraction, you're helping what really matters. So I had to get that off my chest because I want to strangle people about it. And so I'm not really going to strangle somebody. And I'm not really going to punch Bill Simmons in the neck. But if I could tell these people how much they don't get it, how much they don't get it, I would tell them to their face because they're attacking fans who still want to care about sports and they're attacking a place like us who is trying to fund our important news coverage by covering sports things that people care about. So that's my rant. I, I appreciate you guys listening to that. But man, that's been... Whew, about three days of me just boiling about that stuff because there are some real pompous jerks in the world. I understand where people come from sometimes that they don't know that maybe they're, they're, they're too quick to speak. And I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. And I, I would, it's why I, I brought up the text number a few times. I'll bring it up again. 614-350-3315. Um, it's not just about us keeping the tech service going. It's not just about us being able to do things on the Ohio state beat. Um, those of you who were subscribing since last March, 
because you did that, are helping pay for the reporting that's going on now about life and death things, frankly, not to be overly dramatic. And uh, it, it all does tie in together, and it, and it really is important. I'm not trying to oversell it. Um, we appreciate those of you who do, um, but even those of you who just come to our site, listen or, or read our stories, share our stories, that has an impact too. It's, it's all important, and we do really appreciate it. Um, unless anybody else has anything to add, we will see you guys on Thursday with another edition of Buckeye Talk. <laughs>